All right, so introduction to priesthood. When we think about priesthood, what is the first thing that comes to mind? I'd like to know, you can put it in the comments section. So this is how it's going to work. We're going to have 45 minutes breaks or because of time, we'll be having 30 minutes break. So in between every 30 minutes, we will pause to ask questions, to share thoughts, to see how the Lord is unveiling things in our hearts. So um, I'm going to be looking at every 30 minutes. Um, we'll be taking a break to, um, you know, ask questions. So please, if we can just keep the questions until after the 30 minutes so that there is no, um, you know, intersection or interception or intermission or I don't know. But yeah, you get it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. When we think about priesthood, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, I love these answers. Priesthood is a class that is consecrated unto worship and sacrifice. Uh, just a, that's a beautiful. Long ropes and beards. Wow. Emmanuel, someone who serves before the Lord and intermediary service minister fellowship invites. Oh, I love that. Priesthood is a class that is consecrated. Mediation, mm. access to God, prayer, mediator, someone with an altar, service, sacrifice. I love these answers. It's amazing. I think we should go home now. We're done. Um, I'm done. Good night. <laughs> um, okay, so I love all these answers that we're giving. But now the next question I want to ask us is how many of us are truly functioning as priests. How many of us are truly functioning as priests? Some people are leaving the chat. Like the numbers are actually dropping, literally. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, but I'm going to do a lot of that tonight. So, um, <laughs> okay. I think not knowing the fullness of it, I don't think I've been doing that. Okay, awesome. All right, how do priests function? I love that question. Okay, so... Let's start off with the meaning of priest. So when we see priest in scripture, where does this word come from? What does it even mean? Because when we look at scriptures, the priesthood seems like such an ambiguous conversation. It's so broad, you know. Um, and what is interesting is that on YouTube and on podcast platforms, we have so many teachings on priesthood. Um, when we're praying in church, sometimes even one of the... Um, one of the, what's the word, watch word, is I'm a, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. And, you know, all of these nice things that we say um, gives us the idea or the assumption that we understand what priesthood means. Because when we think of priesthood, we think of Aaron and his sons, we think of Eli, we think of the high priest in the temple, we think of Jesus Christ, the high priest that is, you know, mediating on our behalf. You know, we have all of these ideologies that are being played out. But it's important to start from the very beginning and that very the very beginning of the start of all of this is to ask the question what is the meaning of priesthood what is the meaning of a priest who is a priest you know what, what this idea this concept where does it come from 
you know, and in understanding that we now start to build and see how Jesus, how the how Jesus fulfills the, the, the role of priesthood and how God has over time been echoing a mystery to the body or to creation, you know, that he has chosen in our time, you know, to reveal to us. So the first thing we'll be looking at is the word priest. The word priest is from the Hebrew word kohen. It is spelled C-U-H-E-N or K-E-M-K-O-H-E-N, right? Can somebody put it there? C-U-H-E-N or K-O-H-E-N, Kohen. Thank you. They are so effective. I love it. All right. No, N, N, N as in new, N. C-U-H-E-N or K-O-H-E-N. H-E-N, C-U-H-E-N, or K-O-H-E-N. The first time we see this word explicitly stated in scriptures is when? This is how we start working. Please just, you can just leave a, 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 a word in the chat box. Let's, let's do this. It's a study. It's a life study. So the first time we see this being mentioned in scriptures is what? Melchizedek. And that is in the book of what's Rejoice. What chapter is that? Genesis. Uh, absolutely. Just if you're a scholar, please, I'm going to mute my mic and then you're going to continue. Um, absolutely. We see that being mentioned in the book of Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14, when we see or uh, were introduced to a man that has, in fact, given so many of us headache. You understand? I don't, if, if Melchizedek has ever given you a headache before, please just raise your hand. I don't know anybody that is a believer and has read the Bible that has not been confused about Melchizedek. Like, who is Melchizedek? Where does he come from? And because we're individuals that are so accustomed to history, we want to know the beginning of Melchizedek. Like, how is it that we don't know where he comes from? Who Does he have siblings? Did they give birth to him? Did he jump from heaven? Did he land on earth? You know, does he have a house? Did he have a place to stay? You know, who is Melchizedek? Was he a criminal? Obviously, he wasn't a criminal. But as a king, did he have people that he was serving? You know, we have all of these questions that have bamboozled our minds, you know, um, when we come across the conversation of Melchizedek. But now this is how scripture works, right? Um, if you've ever been in any of the sessions, I remember saying that scripture is so interesting in that it has a, a mind of its own. When you are studying your scriptures, it will be ideal and advisable to have conversations with scriptures as though you were speaking to a being. Because the Bible is a being. It is a person that tells a narrative. It is a testament. It is a testimony. So he's testifying of what was, what is, and what is to come through the words and the experiences of other people that have gone ahead of us. So when we're looking at scriptures and we're looking at it as a book that, just, that is just filled with words and it's just here to confuse us because I mean, that's usually the thing. We, we expect that scripture is here to punish us. You know, it's here to um, make us feel bad and remind us that we are in it. But when we look at scriptures as a being, as you would converse with Omolara or you would converse with Ayo, you know, when you look at it that way or when you converse with it, you start to realize that scriptures, just like you, just like me, just like anybody else, has a way it thinks, right? So there are often times that you notice that scriptures will begin with the end. 
and then start to work you through the the narrative like it walks you from the end and then takes you through the in between and then lands at the beginning I, I, do you understand what i'm saying do you understand what i'm saying yeah <laughs> so it takes you yes, from sir. okay um, <laughs> it just takes you from in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and you're just like okay what's going on like what kind of who gives gist like this right but the the intelligence of the oracles the intelligence of the spirit behind the text is that it com- it's it's it pulls us into its world right by helping us see that it understands the language of our world so we see that it has a mind it has a way it thinks it is a being it is active it is living it is breathing it is a breathing passage it is a breathing pathway to understanding the mind and the heart of god now when we see the conversation around priesthood this is how scripture now tries to test you or test your attention right it tests your attention in that it comes up with oh there was a priest melchizedek that you know that was a priest unto the lord and he was a king and then you're like oh sorry i've never heard of this conversation before as far as i'm concerned this is the first time that you're speaking about priesthood and when you have a conversation with text the text will tell you oh well i thought i mentioned priesthood somewhere at the beginning of my story and then you ask how when where when we're patient enough, we will see that the Lord will lead us to the very first chapter in scripture, which is Genesis chapter one. In the book of Genesis chapter one, the Lord starts to, the, the narrator starts to interpret his visions. He starts to interpret the, 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 the sights, the, the images that the Lord reveals to him. And he interprets it to us in such a way that if we are not careful to slow down, to understand the context in which the writer is coming from, we would put in our own interpretation, we will assume we already know, and we will miss the point. And that is the beauty of the book of Genesis chapter 1 to 3. So in the book of Genesis, the Lord introduces us to something It introduces us to something that in our time we would describe as creation. But another word for creation is what? Another word for creation is what? Another word for creation is what? Birth, okay, we have birth, formation. Mm-hmm. There's a word that Paul uses to describe for we're a master. I am a master. A master builder. So when we think of creation, when we infuse or when we allow the Lord to infuse us into the text, we start to see the process of building. So the first thing God introduces himself as, or the first thing that we see, or the first dimension of God that we see is a builder. He's a creator. He is a builder. 
And so somewhere in your journal or somewhere in your notepad, I'm hoping that we have our notepads, the question to write or the question to ask is what was God building? Over time, when I was growing up, I heard God was building the earth. God was building mankind. God was building animals. But the question we must really ask is what was God building? What was he building? Why was he so deliberate? Why was he building as though there was a pattern, as though there was a blueprint? What was his point? That's a question to ask. So at this point, I'm just going to slow down and ask us to go to the book of Genesis 1. If anyone is there and you're free and you love to read, please unmute your mic and, and read. Genesis 1. We're going to read Genesis from 1 to 19. No, sorry, Genesis 1. We're going to read verse 1 and, and 1 to 3. And then I'd like somebody else to read verse 26. What translation, yes. Esther? What translation? Anyone. Just let us know the translation you're reading. Anyone. I'm using NLT today. So. Okay. Can I uh, read? Uh, okay. All right. Okay, so Genesis 1. I'm reading from NIV. Can you guys hear me? Yes, please. Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So someone else from verse 26 to 27. Um, verse 26 and 27. Uh, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Amen. Thank you. So please, if you're with your Bibles, I will ask, I, will, I mean, not your Bibles or your journal, please take note of the word created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Please take note of that. God created the heavens and the earth. There's something that I, I, I did in my, in my own Bible where I underlined all the parts where it says, and God saw, and God said. God saw, he said, God saw, he said. Please underline the word, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. So you can write it down. You can write it down. Then you can also take note of the word, let there be light or be light. Please take note of that. Take note of that. Now, if we go to verse 26, let's take note of the word, let us make, let us make or some translations, let us form, uh, let us form, let us make, I mean, whatever translation, but please let's underline that or take note of that, just write it down, right? And then the next thing that, you know, we should underline or write down is in our likeness and in our image, or in our image and in our likeness. These are words that we'll be visiting. In verse 27, you can write down, God created humans in his own image awesome 
God created humans in his own image. Okay. All right. So I have a feeling that God will have us define priesthood at the end. So I'm not going to, you know, speak about what priesthood is or what it means. Just know that priesthood, the first time we see that is in Genesis 14, and the root word is Kohen, which is K-O-H-E-N or C-O-H-E-N, right? K-O-H-E-N or C-O-H-E-N. So let's pause here and examine something that is a norm in scriptures. In the book of Hebrews, um, in the book of Hebrews, um, Paul is having a conversation and he's talking about how God has created all, has made all things in that they are a reflection of that which exists in the heavens, right? And so when we're going through the narrative of scriptures, when we're going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, we start to see a lot of narrative that seems like they are far-fetched, you know, they are not necessarily things that are relevant in our time. Do you get what I'm saying? They seem like they are not necessary in our time. Sometimes we might look at these things and assume that they are overly detailed and they are not essential in our dispensation because we are in a dispensation of grace. Are we following? But interestingly, when Paul is speaking about the narrative that we see throughout scriptures, and I, and I took note of this text, when Paul is speaking about the scriptures that we see in the in that we see in the narrative of the Bible, he speaks about it as though these are mysteries, these are things, these are revelations, these are patterns that the Lord has set ahead in order for us to understand the workings of the heavens. And pardon me, I'm going to keep using the word heavens because that's our origin, right? Man is, though he resides in the flesh or he resides in what makes him compatible, the inspiration, like we said last week, the inspiration behind man's existence is the spirit of God, is the breath of God, is the wind of God. So when we speak about the heavens, I don't want us to imagine something that is above or some clouds that are hanging over the, um, the, the earth. You know, I want us to think about something that is tangible yet intangible. Thank you. That is tangible yet intangible. Let's think about something that is that is seen yet unseen, right? And I know that that might seem ambiguous, but as we go on, um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to you know, dive into that. But like I was saying, when we're going through the narrative of scriptures, we experience a lot of things that sounds too much. The detail sounds like a lot. And so it can seem very frustrating, especially for people that don't like to read the Old Testament. It seems very frustrating to read the Old Testament, especially because you believe or we believe that it is not necessary in our time or in our dispensation. But if we're following the, the revelation of Paul, or the revelation of the Lord through Paul, we will start to understand that every single thing that the Lord did, everything that the Lord um, um, revealed, everything that the Lord formed or created or made or caused our eyes to see was after a pattern of that which is not seen. Are we over following? So that means that if I'm looking at the Lord's dealing in Genesis 1, I am looking at the Lord creating something that though might seem vague, but will begin to expand as I follow his narrative, right? So 
um, MBE, I, I, please, I don't know what your name is. If you can just let me know. I said that every single narrative that we see in scriptures, though it might seem vague, it is a revelation of that which is unseen. So when I said that the Lord was building something, and I said in our journals, we should ask the question, what was the Lord building? Because he was so intentional. If you follow the narrative of Genesis, all oh my days, you would experience a lot of patterns, a lot of mind-blowing patterns when it comes to not just the repetition of words, but you start to see that the words were repeated for a specific reason. The, the, the specific words that were said were repeated for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. And they don't just apply to the book of Genesis. We start to see how those laws apply in other narratives. And I'm going to give a case in point as we go, but please just take note of this. Every single thing that the Lord did in Genesis 1 was very specific. And it wasn't random, not in any way. It wasn't random. Even when we see the spirit of the Lord being introduced at the beginning of the text, that's intentional. And we see that pattern playing out in other parts or in other texts where creation is being mentioned. When we see the Lord saying, the Lord said, or we see the number seven, or we see the number 21 or 14, we start to see that these are intentional patterns that were laid out in scriptures for us so for our attentions to be for our attention to be called, right? I'm going to stop very soon, but just know that. Um, please let me know if if you need me to repeat anything. You can just put it in the chat box. So, like I said, every single thing that is mentioned in scriptures is mentioned for a reason. The first thing that um, you know, I, I, I said we should pay attention to is the fact that it says in the beginning, God created the heavens first and the earth. And then the earth was without form. It was empty. And the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the surface of the deep. That's the first thing that we see being mentioned in scriptures. That's how we're introduced to the text. Now, as we go through scriptures, we start to realize that in this same chapter, the Lord creates the Lord first separates, then he starts to fill up. Has anyone noticed that before? If you're going through Genesis 1, the Lord creates, he separates, then he fills up. So, for example, the Lord created the heavens and the earth, separation. The Lord separated light from darkness, separation. The Lord said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth, separation. And then, um, and then let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place and the dry ground in another place, separation. We see that happening. And when separation is done, which is the first phase of creation, the next thing that we see, or the first phase of, phase of building, the next thing that we see is that the Lord starts to fill up. In verse 11, let the land sprout with vegetation. That's a feeling. And, and, and then the Lord, um, and then in verse 14, let light appear in the sky. That's a feeling. In verse uh, 20, let the water swarm with the fish and other life. Swarm with fish and other life. That's a feeling in verse 24. Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. That's a feeling. And guess what the Lord now says, which is like the, if it was a movie, this is like the climax of the movie. And then the Lord now comes and says, let us now make humans in our likeness and in our image. And that's not something that he says in every other text preceding this text. He says, let us. 
Remember in the other text, the Lord is saying, be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then he comes to man and then he says, let us now make man in our likeness and in our image. And guess what he says to man? Then they will rule. And I'm guessing like, you know, the Holy Spirit is starting to paint a picture in our mind. Then when we make man, after he separates, he fills up. The next thing he does is he, he says, let us make man. Then man will rule over these things. And when we're looking at scriptures, again, I, I keep going back to this and I keep making this statement because the word of the Lord is so full of light and it's so full of life in that if we try to ignore, assume we know, we will miss out on a lot of essential details. The Lord separates, the Lord fills up, then the Lord raises man or he instates man or what's the word? Then he takes, he says, let us make man to rule. It says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness to rule. And I know that theologically, I mean, this is something that we have, we've probably all experienced. I have experienced <laughs> I've been around like a couple of theologians, like when you're talking about, you know, this image and likeness, my days, like you can have headache, you know, they just say, oh, image as in the, I remember when I was younger, so I, when I was younger, I see me saying when I was younger, like I'm so old, but I remember having a conversation with someone about this thing and he almost led into like a very heated debate and the person said, the, the image of God. So, you know, the way God, the way man has eyes and nose and, and hair and hands and fingers and all of these things. That's how God is. Then he now said, but God does not have eyes and nose. And I don't know if anybody has ever been dragged into this pool of confusion before. I just, I, when they said it, I was just, I just blacked out. I was like, well, just, just kill me now because this is what they are saying. It's just, it's disturbing my brain. I don't even, I can't process it. I can't process it right now you say oh the image and the likeness of god you know is both the physical image of god and the intangible image of god okay so my point is i i need okay if i should ask you now what does this god look like the same person that said man is in the image and he has nose and eyes and and throats and tongue like god will now come and say, God is formless. <laughs> God, God, God is shape. God, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> God has a center. God does not have circumference. And there's, there's deep truth in that. But again, please explain this image and likeness to me again. Can we come again? And I've genuinely been in conversations where I have asked, explain this thing to me again and again. They'll explain it and get to the end. When you get to the end, I'll now ask, please explain this thing to me again. Explain, ex just explain it. And I've seen that what has distracted us from the points of this text is our, including myself, is our inability to see the full picture. The full picture of description here says, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness to rule. It doesn't just say, let us make man in our image and likeness. It says, let us make man in our image 
and in our likeness to rule. And this is where we'll take a break. I'm going to ask if anybody has questions, thoughts, or you know, questions or thoughts before we go on so that we don't feel overwhelmed. Any thoughts, any question? Let's just take a minute to just process before we continue. Okay, when you um so hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So essentially, if like God was saying, um, let us make man in our image and our likeness to rule, and you were saying that every narrative um is inspired by an unseen pattern, then it means that like man was inspired by like like the pattern of god like not what unseen like i don't know is that making sense I keep going know. your thought you've not you've not fully you've not fully formed it so don't be afraid just say okay um so it means so like if it says um yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't grasped it yet. I'm trying to understand. Um, I'm still trying to understand. So, like, if if um every narrative or every physical thing we see comes from the unseen, then it means that like man wasn't necessarily made in the physical image or the um physical image or likeness of God, boy was like. I don't know. This was like uh, I haven't grasped it yet. I'm scared to like guess, not guess, but like ah, uh, never mind. Okay. No, I mind actually. So please just go on. Oh yeah, please go on. Okay. Let me try again. <laughs> um. Okay. So. If, okay, it's an unseen pattern and man is seen and creation is seen and God is, <laughs> and God is creating it according to something we cannot see. And if we look at Hebrews, um, according to like, this rule thing is very important, isn't it? This whole thing is very important. Sorry, I'm trying to like grasp it. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Oh, I was wasting time now. Okay, when I grasp it, I'll tell you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. That's that's amazing. And, and you know, that's a very beautiful process. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, Sandra. Okay, so I I think I got a bit lost um, mm -hmm. when you mentioned the three the three things God did. So the power you mentioned, God created, and then He God separated, and then He fills up. Okay, He separated yes. first. Okay, actually, yes. I'm actually a bit confused with that part. So if you can go over it again, I'll actually appreciate it. And how that relates to like 
him being very intentional about mm. it. Okay. So um, let me give a picture of somebody that wants to build. Sandra, please don't unmute your mic because I'm going to ask you some questions. So if you okay. want to build, right, let's say you go to a site and you need to start building, what's the first thing you do? Um, I'll clear the ground. Okay. Are you seeing that? Then after clearing the ground, what will you do? That process of clearing the ground is what? Oh, Sandra, you're muted. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? So the first thing you do, if you are a builder, you go to a site. What's the first thing you do? If you want to build, what's the first thing you have to do? I'll try to like clear the ground and probably like take out weeds or something. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the idea or the inspiration behind the clearing the ground is from what? The idea of clearing the ground is for me to have like a good foundation to start with, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, what is going to give you a picture of the foundation that you need to start with? I don't know that one, no. <laughs> so Sandra, um, if you want okay. to build a bungalow, right? Mm -hmm. The yeah. bungalow is a what? Bungalow is a building. Yes, but that bungalow, until it materializes, what is it to you? It's like an idea, a plan, something. Okay, now, so based on that plan, what, yeah. will, it, what will it inspire you to do? To start working on the building, like, yeah, to start building the, the bungalow. Okay. So if you go to a land and that land doesn't look like what you, doesn't look like what you have in your mind, right? What's the next thing you do after having the idea? You stay with me. Don't be afraid. <laughs> just, no, don't leave me, please. Just stay I'm here not together. Leaving you. No, I'm not leaving you. Okay. okay. So if you have an idea, you go to the land, what does it inspire you to do? To build. Okay. To create. So let me yeah. help you. Okay, that process of creation, before you start building, will you just go to the land and start building? No, I'll clear the ground. Okay, yeah. so now that, that clearing is what? Someone help me. That clearing is what? <laughs> separation. I, that's the thing. I'm trying to avoid the word separation because, like, in reality, I'm not separating the ground. I don't know if that makes sense. Are you sure you're not separating? Because if probably... there is weed on, in the land and the weed is not where it's supposed to be, Okay, let me understand why you think it's not separation. Okay, now maybe lost. So I have a plan and I'm about mm -hmm. to build. Mm -hmm. I go to the land and it's not right for, it's not fit for what I want to build. And then I clear mm -hmm. the land. 
So what you're saying here is me weeding. Okay, I get that point now. So me weeding and trying to like take off stuff from the land that's not meant to be there for me to lay my foundation is the separation. Yes. So it is not necessarily the tossing aside, but it is the arrangement of things according to their purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That makes Do you understand sense. that? Okay. Yeah. So now when you separate, what's the next thing you do? Foundation. So now the land is void. Exactly. That process of filling the foundation or putting the foundation or laying the foundation is what? Filling. Filling. Okay. So please walk me through your understanding of the synesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you typing <laughs> sandra now please walk me through your process so we have um about five more minutes for questions then we will continue and then go again so please walk me through your process of your understanding of 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 genesis one now so i would like to know let's say you're the one talking to me and you're talking to me like i don't know anything so what God tried to do was first to separate, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and that separation is like, in our own terms, like removing the weed and all that's not needed. Um, mm -hmm. And then he went on to like create, that's like starting to build the foundation, if that makes sense. And then he filled it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now, why I'm pointing you to the fact that it's not necessarily the removal. Remember, he separates, he says, the heavens, the, uh, the heavens are not useless, right? But in the, in the blueprint, it has a separate function from what the earth is to be. Mm, okay. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, the light is not cast away. But the light is separated from darkness because they have different functions. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So it's like when the Lord spoke about the firmament, right? When he said that the firmament um, will be to, you know, create an expanse, literally, um, you know, to se separate the earth from the heavens. The separation in itself, or when he was calling forth the firmament, Picture this, he wasn't calling an abstract object. Because when you think about anything that separates, it is, it is most likely tangible, yes or no? Yes. Okay, so that means that the firmament is tangible, right? Yes. Is a tangible creature. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, that makes sense. Or you don't want to think about it as a, as a creation? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You're just like, what's that? So the firmament is now a person. <laughs> no, but what I mean is it creates the firmament as a tangible entity, right? Now, the firmament is not cast aside, but the firmament serves as the barrier or the bridge between the heavens and the earth. And the earth. So the firmament in just being, that is the calling forth of the firmament to exist and carry out his function makes that um, makes the firmament um let me say carry out no, the firmament being called out to carry out what it was called to do means that the firmament was living or um, living in the reality of its function does that make sense yeah 
or it's yes, purpose. Yes, so literally, the firmament is fulfilling purpose. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank so you. I hope okay. that that helps. Yeah. So we're going yeah. to have one more person and then we'll continue. All right. Praise. Good evening. Mine is just more of a question. Um, okay. Um, and I don't want to take us off a tangent, so you don't have to respond if you distract from what you're um, doing. But it's okay. it's from the same story. Um, okay. I growing up, I was taught that. So I, you probably have heard this from theologians, right? That um, when he says God created the heavens um, and the earth, um, and then the next thing, so they say between verse one and verse two, there's so much that happened. They talk about um, the rebellion of Satan. And that God never creates anything. God can create something that is without uh, form and void. Whatever God creates is good. And that essentially between, essentially between um, verse one and two, is um, you know the rebellion of Satan. They talk about how um, that's when the Big Bang happened. But I I don't know. Like I'm just I just want I don't know if it's, it's going to take us off a tangent, but it's something that. Mm. Um, I was taught growing up. I, yeah. I do know a lot of people hold that very strongly as well. Yeah. So, absolutely yes. I mean, that's that's not a foreign um, doctrine. That's a foreign, um, you know, theology. Um, and there's so much that could have happened. And just so that we don't go off, you know, there's so much indeed that could have happened. Yes, yeah, the gap theory. There's so much that could have happened between Genesis one and Genesis two for so many reasons. Number one, um, when Moses is documenting, so we'll first remember that Genesis is documented by Moses. And so when Moses is documenting, Moses is documenting the essential information that he's inspired to reveal to us. Do you get what I'm saying? So indeed, so much could have happened. So much could have happened before even creation. So much could have happened before Genesis 1. In fact, so much happened before Genesis 1. Now, this is where personally, and you know, I've heard so many people that have helped me and so many people that have gone ahead of me and stand, and which is, which is something that I, I, would, I would share. There is a temptation to focus our attention on the details that do not necessarily bring about the profiting of our spiritual growth. Does that make sense? And so we will now focus so much attention on those things and spend time arguing that in the process of arguing, we don't even know when we've missed the point. I remember somebody saying something one time, I think some Sundays ago, and he was saying that there are people that existed that were not documented about in scriptures, not because their lives were not essential or there was nothing to learn, but but for the simple reason that as humans, in the narrative of their stories, it might not be beneficial to us. It does not mean that those stories are not necessary in the grand scheme of things. It just means that those stories, if we should look at it really and truly, right, it might not be necessary for us, for our spiritual growth. So this is the, this is the summation of, of this 
of this um, school of thought. But absolutely, I completely agree with you, Praise, and, I, and, and, and definitely, alongside all the people that have spoken about things happening between the first chapter and the second chapter and the third chapter, um, you know, definitely so many things happen. But again, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 point to a narrative or a mystery that the Lord would have us to focus on, which is the unveiling or the revelation of his desire for, for creation. So um, if I'm going through that, if I'm looking at God creating, you know, um, sorry, I think the, the chats are with, to our spiritual growth. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to close the chat so that it doesn't distract me. But does that make sense, Grace? So much could have gone. So much happened. You know, I agree. For I, agree I agree with you. I agree with you. So much, so much definitely happened. But if I'm looking at the continuation between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and then Genesis 3, then I would see that a lot of things were unveiled in the first chapter that will make the second chapter make sense and make the third chapter make sense. So it's a narrative that builds, you know, brick by brick, bit by bit, piece upon piece, um, truth upon truth. So, um, yeah. But I, I think one sense. of the reasons, one of the reasons people talk about it is the book of Ezekiel, when it speaks about, you know, the man called the morning star and the fall, and then the book of Revelation that speaks about the war that goes on, you know, um, amongst the angels in, in the heavens, um, you know. So yeah, most times it's, it's that, that place of trying to piece things together. Um, but I, I, as much as I like to talk about that, um, I think, you know, it's just necessary to, to draw attention to what we have, so. Okay, all right. Did somebody ask a question in the group? If someone can please help take note of that question so that we can um, you know, attend to that later. All right, so um, we'll, we'll go on and we'll be looking at those words that we asked to highlight. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you help us. Okay, so the first word that we see is the word image. And the second word, I hope we took note of those words. The first word is image. The first word is likeness. So the word image is from the Hebrew word selem, which is S-E-L-E-M. It kind of sounds like Salem, what is Salem? S-E-L-E-M, S-E-L-E-M. And then the other word, which is likeness, is demut, which is D-E-M-U-T. Now, Salem is literally transli transliterated as a visible form, a visible form. And I want to stick into the word, a visible form. If someone can please put the word in the chat box, a visible form. Salem is a visible form. And um, demut is, demut literally is likeness or, you know, not invisible, visible, visible form, visible form, visible form. And then the other is demut, 
which um, you know, most people equate with invisible form. So please, I want us to take note of those two words, right? And then invisible form, um, likeness can also be um, invisible form. That speaks more of intangible um, traits. So that means that is the way you say a child is the likeness of his father. So you're not speaking about the character, you're not speaking about the, the physical um, similarities with the father, you're speaking about the traits or the intangible. You're speaking about the intangible essence that the child has taken um, or inherited from the father. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? Okay. So, okay. So, the next thing that we should take note of is the word, which is for rule, is the word rada, R A D A. And I'm just trying to make it. Um, easiest. The word rule is from the Hebrew word rada, which is R-A-D-A. R-A-D-A. That is to rule. To rule is rada. And the second word, which is subdue, it's a word that we, we say a lot in Christianity. And I want to ask us, when a group of people gather together to, to pray, in tongues, what's the word they use? What they say? Let us do what? Kabash. Come on. That's it. Yeah. So subdue is the word kabash. So C-A-B-A-S-H, or you might notice that I use that there's always this mostly an interchanging between K and C. So C-A-B-A-S-H or K-A-B-A-S-H. Right, so I mean, I remember the first time I learned about the words of Jew and Kabash, it just changed the way I prayed. I mean, <laughs> it just changed the way I pray. So, the word let's start with, um, you know, let's start with Zalem and Demut, right? Um, when we're looking at those words that the author uses, remember, we started off this conversation with acknowledging that number one, scripture is built on narratives, right? That seeks to reveal intangible realities. Does that make sense? Scripture is built on, or scripture is, is, is consists of narratives that seeks to reveal intangible realities. So that means that every single thing that the Lord does, every single word that is utilized in scriptures, the paintings, the image, the vision, the visual that the Lord in reveals to an individual is not about um, showing them what is alone in this realm, but he uses this realm to explain the spirit. So it's like one that says, I use um, food language to explain the ways of the spirit, or I use fashion to explain the ways of the spirit, or I use um, what's something else that we like, movies um, to explain the things of the spirit. So for example, if someone is talking about the book of first Kings, second Kings, first Samuel, second Samuel, Georges and Chronicles. Um, it might seem very far-fetched, but if I'm looking at it through the lens of game of Thrones, or I'm looking at it through um, the Vikings, or I'm looking at it through 300, you know, all of these movies that speak about conquer, conquer, overcome, subdue, you know, I will, it will make me understand 
right? What scriptures is painting? What scriptures is driving at? Does this make sense? Is this making sense anymore? I think, can you explain? Okay. Okay. So I'm saying that in this realm, I was, yesterday I was, I think it was this morning I was telling El Shaka that in the book of Genesis, God uses flesh to interpret spirits. God creates this earth and he creates man and he goes through all of this process to teach us spirits. In the book of Exodus, God uses tabernacles. He uses all of these things to teach us spirits. Because remember, Paul, spoke, um, uh, Paul speaks about a tabernacle, a holy of holies that exists in the heavens. So the revelation on earth is other, the, the teachings of earth using earthly elements is a revelation of heavenly mysteries. Right. So from the very beginning of the, the first text in scriptures, God is not just speaking about a creation that looks nice and beautiful and good. God is teaching spirits using physical forms. So um, in the book of Revelation, guess what the Lord now uses? He uses the flesh to teach spirits or he uses the spirits to teach flesh. Sorry. He uses flesh to teach spirits in Genesis. So he reveals the mystery of the heavens through, exactly. He reveals the mystery of the heavens through the tangible things, through the earthly elements. Now, in the book of Revelation, he now uses these elements that he taught us, <laughs> that he used to teach us heavenly principle to reveal. Do you understand what I'm saying? To reveal the flesh. So. Oh, please help me to make sense of this. God comes and creates the heavens. He creates the earth. He creates all of these things. And as we go through scriptures, we now see that the Lord is teaching us, which we will get to. The Lord is teaching us or walking us through the making of the tabernacle. In the book of Revelation, Paul now takes this tabernacle and starts to, he takes the, the what's the word? It takes their spirit to reveal the flesh. In Revelations 1, Paul says, and John says, sorry, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And so for me to be able to understand the concepts and the principles and the revelations or the insight, because it's not even revelation until our eyes are open to see. And I really hope I'm not confusing anyone. Please pardon me and just be patient. So in the book of Revelation, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he now starts to explain the things of the flesh using the things of the spirit. So he would speak about the menorah, which is a physical element. And then he starts to explain the menorah that is in heaven. Now, in order for me to be able to understand what John is saying, I cannot get that insight in my flesh. That is, my carnal man does not have the ability to comprehend what he's saying. 
And that's why a lot of us are confused when it comes to the book of Revelation. Because as much as we can, or as often as we try, we tend to um, analyze the spirit using the carnal man. So I want to be in my flesh on any other day to understand what somebody said when he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. But in the book of Genesis, the Lord comes down to the flesh, meaning we can say that the Lord was on the flesh, on in his, on, the Lord was in the flesh on his day. Does that make any sense to you? So the Lord had to reveal spirit through flesh. And in the book of Revelation, the Lord reveals spirit through spirit. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. The Lord reveals spirit through spirit, but he uses physical elements. So it's like all these things I taught you in Genesis, remember what I said in Exodus, remember what I said in Deuteronomy, remember what was written in, in Ezekiel, remember what was written in Malachi, remember all of these things that have been lined out for you that I came to show you. Now, let me show you how these have always been about spiritual elements. And that is why we would say that the word of the Lord is a living, breathing bridge that helps us to understand the um, that helps us to understand the mysteries of the heavenlies. So I can look at my Bible now, and I can look, I can consider, and I can say that my Bible is the bridge, the 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 revelation of the spirit of this word becomes a bridge that helps me to go between two dimensions, right? So I am in this realm, but through the word or through the spirit of the word, I am able to understand the elements of the spiritual. And because I'm able to understand the element of the spiritual, when this is revealed to me, I am able to bring it back to this realm to make it a reality. And that's what Paul was saying when he said, be you not conformed by the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that I am uh, um, the, 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 the Christ, the bridegroom, will wash his bride with water so that he can present her with, um, you know, as one that is without spot or blemish. Meaning that the water that Paul speaks about, which is the word, is not just a word that is a book. It is a bridge. It is a portal that is supposed to lead me to the heart and the mind of God. Now, when it leads me to the heart and the mind of God, it causes me to bring down that which he has said. This is what is happening as we, as we go through scriptures, the Old Testament. But when we get to the book of Revelation, it's as if the Lord is saying, I have given you the equipment to meet me here. Now, meet me here to understand what I have always been saying. Again, this is why we cannot treat the word and the things that come out from the Lord as though they are, you know, we can't because the word that proceeds from the mouth of God is so meticulously articulated. It is a, it is, it is like, and what I hear in my heart now is like Pythagoras theory, right? It is a principle. It is a formula that teaches us or helps us to ascend to the reality of that which he had called us to be from the beginning. Why I'm saying all of this is because in Genesis chapter 1, we see an equation. The Lord creates man in his image and in his likeness to rule and to subdue. 
meaning that he separated, he failed, and now he has reinstated man to continue what he started. And the interesting thing about it is, in this place, the word that is used for, you know, um, image and likeness is in our time, in this Western time, we would look at it as abstract ideologies, you know? And if we really understood what this meant, we would, we would learn to, oh, we would learn to observe the pathways of God. We would learn to observe that which God has set us on. If we understand what it means to be the image and the likeness of God, a lot of things that we condone in our souls, a lot of things that we tend to turn our eyes away from, a lot of things that we think are too little, too minute, too inconsequential, will become consequential because we carry within us the understanding of whose image and likeness we are and why he has placed us here. If we remember in the book of Mark, um, some scholars came to meet Jesus, right? I remember, I think we've done this session, we've had this session before. Some, some scholars came to meet Jesus and it was so obvious that he had come to test him. And then he came to him and he said, Jesus, 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 I know that you're such a wise man. You're full of the spirit. You're such a wise teacher. Everything that comes out from your mouth is wisdom. Now we have a question. Should we pay tax to Caesar? Jesus looks at them and he says, wow. <laughs> Does anybody have a coin in their pocket? First of all, that's a trap. Because as one that is supposed to be a priest, seven in the tabernacle or seven in the temple, you are not supposed to even be carrying money on you, right? You are not supposed to. But he asks them the question, and guess what? When you are so desperate or when you are so quick to be evil, you, you forget sense or you lose sensibility. That was the situation. They brought a coin, they gave it to him. And then Jesus looks at it and he says, whose face is on this thing? Do you know what Jesus was saying there? Whose image is this coin in? Whose image and likeness is this coin in? And they look at it and they said, Caesar. And guess what he says? He says, so you give to Caesar what is in his image and his likeness. And you give to God what is his image and likeness. Meaning Jesus was not just talking about financial principle, as we've always thought. Jesus was teaching about the patterns of a priest. It's the coin in being in the image and likeness of Caesar has become a priest unto Caesar, meaning he has become a servant unto Caesar. It is a means of transaction. The priest or the coin has become the bridge between the people and Caesar. Do you understand what I'm saying? The coin is now in between Caesar and the people. And when we're looking at scriptures, when the Lord makes man, or when the Lord calls forth priests, he, he, he instates priests as people that are to stand in between, not, not even in Genesis, but in, in the book of Exodus. When the priest is reinstated, in fact, in Genesis, what am I saying? When the Lord raises the priesthood, he actually announces I'm so sorry. Ishaba, I'm so sorry. He actually announces a portal that is to be between creation and himself. And that means that when God came to build, as we would see 
in scriptures. And we are going there. When God came to build what we call the heavens and the earth, he was making himself an intermediary between the spirit and the earth. He was revealing himself. He had placed himself in between creation and creator. He himself was teaching us the patterns of a priest. When Jesus was talking to these people about the coins, he was literally saying, this coin is in the image and in the likeness of Caesar. And when we look at the image and likeness that is utilized in this text, we might not understand it in the Western context until we start to look at it in the Middle Eastern context and you know, in, in, in ancient tradition. There's this guy that keeps coming to mind every time I think about this thing. There's a Nigerian man that has a habit of erecting statues in his, in his name. Please, who knows that man's name? You don't have to call his name, you can just put it there. Aha! <laughs> When you look at that image, what are you seeing there? What are you seeing? What are you seeing when you look at it? You're looking at him. Abby? Now, have you ever been to, um, have you ever been to TBS, Tafal Balewa Square? When you go there, you'll notice that there's an image of a man running or is either running or is playing football. I can't remember, but I know it's a sports type of, it's a, it's, a, it's a statue that represents sports, you know? When you look at it, you don't necessarily know who the man is, but you can tell the essence of the man. The man is a what? The man is a what? An athlete. He's an athlete. You don't know, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know this person. But when you see that statue, when you see that image, you know that this person is an athlete. He's an athlete, sorry. You know? So you're not even bothered about the name of the person. You just see the statue and you just know what it is about. This is what the people in ancient times understood. Now, there's a particular statue in the Mideast. Mideast, actually. It's called uh, the statue of the Syrian king Haddad. The statue of the Syrian king Haddad. This statue was founded in the 19th century. Oh, sorry, not sorry, not 19th. It was founded in the 9th century. You should Google it. The statue of the Syrian king, Haddad, spelled H-A-D-A-D. Do you know that when they found this statue, it was written on the body in the image and likeness of Haddad. So when you see it, you just know that, first of all, this person was a king. This person was a king. This person was a powerful person. In fact, when you see that statue, please check it out if you've not seen it before. When you see that statue, you know already that this thing is a king. A king cannot make a statue of himself and he'll be looking like a pauper. Do you understand what I'm saying? If a king wants to make a statue of himself, he's going to make it to look like a king. That thing is going to be not just with his face, is also going to carry his essence so that when you see it, you say, ah, Odogu, as a big man, you know that this is a king. And this was not just like, you know, in the case of Hadad, even in the ancient Egypt, you know, um, there was a particular pharaoh, I can't remember his name, let me think I wrote his name. There was a particular pharaoh that 
you know, um, that they found, um, that, that wrote a letter about his father. And he described his father as being after the image of Ray, which is the god of sun or the god of the sun, right? And here, Ray, or, um, Ray, which is the god of the sun. And even till now, the um, pharaohs are actually described as extensions or living manifestations or images and like or image and likeness of the gods. Let's now even bring it to Nigeria. When you're looking at the Oni of Ife, they look at the Oni of Ife and they say that Oni of Ife is the mouthpiece of the gods. He is the living image and likeness of a little Mary. Or Lodumari. That's what they believe. <laughs> That's what Kassel is supposed to be. But they believe that he is the living image of Olodumari. So I'm saying all of these things because I'm inviting us to see that these things were not just words, right? They were words that were, if anyone in that in those times will read this text, they would understand that this was not just about an image. This was about an essence, the expression of a person. And so if God expresses or if God reveals himself as creator, the first thing he does is to reveal man or is to extend man or create man as an extension of himself or an extension of creator. And he doesn't even stop there. The next thing that he talks about is that he creates man in his image and his likeness to what? To what? He creates man in his to image rule. and likeness to rule. rule. To rule. And this rule, <laughs> when you think about rule, you think about what? You think about what? A king. You think about dominion. You think about, you know, you think about rulership. Ashaka. <laughs> You think about a kingdom, you think about power, you think about, oh, my dears, it's so precious. Authority. Authority, dominion. He created man in his image and in his likeness to rule. Another word for that, thank you, Laifa, to govern. He created man in his image and his likeness to govern. Govern to govern that was the original design. He, he created man in his likeness as a governor, as a king. Now, the second thing is, he created him to rule. <laughs> it's not as it done, Dada. He created him to rule and he created him to subdue. Now, before we even go to the, the point of rule, it's necessary that we know that ruling goes beyond theology, theological um, you know, preconceptions. It's not just, um, oh, sit down on your throne and rule. One of the things that is intricate in rulership is artistic, literally artistic, um, what's the word? artistic construction, right? When you speak about a king, when you speak about a king, you're not just thinking about somebody that sits down, you're thinking about a designer. 
You're thinking about somebody that carries within himself an intrinsic or an intricate design to, to create, to construct absolutely creative abilities. You're thinking about that. So I, I really, I hope we're following that God comes, separates, he fills up, then he erects man. And then he says that this man, I'm going to make my representative here on earth. He's going to become not just a king, but he's going to become the middle man between creation and creator. Absolutely, he created man to continue what he started. And so when we're looking at that, the second part of this is he created man to subdue, which is to kabash. And whenever we think about subduing or we think about, you know, we always think about force. We think about all these things. Have you seen a powerful, in fact, because of Ogame, that's the Olu of worry, I've learned so much about kingdom and kings. Do you know when you say that somebody does not shout? Sometimes, let me, know, let me be honest with you guys, sometimes when I'm praying, I used to ask myself midway, Esther, why are you shouting? Why are you shouting? Why are you shouting? Why are you, why are you sh- what is there to shout? You know? If you see a king, you know they shout. He does not shout. He's not a shouter. He's not going around shouting. Hey, young people. I had a boss. Every single time I did something that did not make her happy, she would call me and say, I am the owner of this company. In my mind, I'm like, of course you are. Like, yes, you are the owner. Nobody is dragging it with you, ma. She just say, I'm the owner of this company. Say yes, ma. I say, God. <laughs> what is, why should I say yes, ma? What is the yes, ma, now for? You already, ma. Like, on so many levels, right? I don't need to call you, ma. Validate your mashup, right? A king does not need to shout. Subduing is not equivalent to shouting. And you say, oh, let us pray. Let us bind them. Let us cast them. And so we will just be shouting. Ah! Like literally spend like two. <laughs> Before the end of the day, you don't have voice. So it's like, the devil is looking at you like, oh, yeah, keep shouting. Where is your voice now? Oh, voice, where is your victory? <laughs> because it's gone. It has disappeared. All of us that had mothers. Let me not go so far. So apparently, recently, Elsha. Just thinking about this, it makes me laugh. El Shaka has had an, an, you know, um, cough since November. I thought that it was as a result of praying, praying a lot. I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know that. You know, we didn't know that it was an infection. And it's not funny, actually. So this, we, when, you know, we realized December, it was the same thing. January was the same thing. <laughs> January was the same thing. This thing has not stopped. We even need to go to the hospital. And please, after now, we ex- exercise our priesthood. El Shaka shouts on a normal day. He wakes up shouting. He, he can just be eating. And if the thing hits the right place, he will shout. <laughs> if, if, he, if maybe something happens to him or he's watching a movie, I'm not talking about like shout as in, Hey, no, that's not it. I'm talking about high pitch shout. You know it, high pitch shout. And just when you think that you have seen the end of it, 
he now brings it into singing. When it's time to sing, he starts with, ah! then, you know, it just keeps going from there. But of recent, with this thing that has been happening to him, the question I've been asking him is, oh, voice, where is, where, where is thy victory? Because it will do, ah! <laughs> literally, I'm just like, are they, is there a God? At your, are they pointing a gun at you to finish this song? Because it will sing, it will shout and cough. Then when you finish coughing, you continue singing. I'm like, once you finish this song, it's not compulsory. You don't have to. You don't have to push. You know, and when he says it, every time I say, once you finish the song, you say, I know, right? Then you continue singing. <laughs> this is some of us. When we hear, Find the devil. We think that it's by shouting. Subdue. We think it's by shouting. It's not shout. There is a declaration and there is a sound that you make when you understand who you are and in whose image and likeness you are in. In whose image and likeness you are in. Now, when the Lord creates man and he calls him all of these things, the next thing that we see, and I, I feel like we should take a break here, right? Before we go into the next part. Should we take a break or should we continue? Continue, please. Continue, please. If anyone we'll has a break. question. Oh, questions, questions. Let's take a break. Oh, Let's ask questions. Uh, All right, Toby. Uh, thank you. So um, throughout this conversation, um, uh, everything you've been saying, uh, I've been, I've noticed the pattern because, like, um, over a few months, uh, I've been, I've been trying to understand God and the Bible and the reason why certain things, you know, happen. So, um, uh, now we're talking about priesthood and um, yeah. the things you told us to align. Uh, the first thing I noticed was, okay, let me go back to the beginning when you were talking about man's image and likeness, yeah. um. And you explained that um, the image doesn't necessarily mean physical attributes. It mm -hmm. means the essence mm -hmm. of God inside man. And that's that. Um, and, uh, and you also mentioned something about um, God speaking and the words of God having power. So that, that took me back to something I saw if you, um, about like, was it a podcast or, um, or a lecture? Uh, about um, someone, the philosopher, a philosophical person was speaking about um, words and in relation to God and the Bible. And he mentioned how um, a lot of things that bring about um, war and like, words are actually very powerful because um, words are what make you feel certain joy or make you feel angry. Like someone can say certain thing to you now and you start feeling insecure or someone can say something to you start feeling like lovely like let's say someone compliments your hair and mm. all that and words are the same things that bring about national war and uh like for example now a lot of world wars uh, are based off people's beliefs and ideas and ideologies it's yeah. not necessarily all these fancy things isn't like capitalism and blah this mm. and that it's just it's probably it's kind of bs um but the, yeah so um words are really powerful and, and in, in that, i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> No, no, no. I was going to ask you, like, as a priest, can you say the, meaning, the full meaning of BS with your full chest? 
But anyway, sorry, I just please go on. <laughs> no, not here, not, not in this place. Um, yeah. uh, so, oh, somewhere yeah, else. Somewhere else. Yes, yeah, somewhere else. Let me know, like. Um, so, uh, so everything you've been saying, uh, it kind of brought me to this whole idea of um, what priesthood means and what you talked about willing and subduing. And I remember um, Jesus, in the sense of willing, Jesus never exactly tried to to force um, himself or his thoughts on anybody. Yeah. What he did, especially especially in, in the sense of the temptation, what he did was that he had complete control over himself, you know, which in turn made everybody else fall in place. You understand? Because yeah. um, there's a certain way he just carried himself. There's a certain way when, um, when he subdued himself, um, that means he overcame the temptation of, of, of all the flashy things that the devil was showing him. Oh, yeah, uh, you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And let's be honest, any human being that actually wants to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, God is going to be like absolutely impossible. Like it seems yeah. almost impossible. Um, especially like in modern day terms, uh, let's say you are fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and then all of a sudden you want to go for a wedding, a party, and then you start seeing all sorts of assorted meats and pepper soup, and you start seeing your favorite meal. And then, I mean, you know, you have a responsibility to fast, <laughs> you understand, yeah. but um, in that moment, of, of controlling yourself throughout that party to say, no, I'm not going to do this. There is a there is a purpose and reason for me past fasting. And I'm not going to let something as as um, flimsy as as pepper soup, you know, stop me from reaching that my purpose. Yeah. You know. And you know so yeah, that's that's another thing I understood. Um yeah. I'm sorry. Absolutely that's a really beautiful um, um analogy example. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. if you're not done. And um, finally, no, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, go on. And then you also mentioned want. something about statues. You also mentioned something about statues. And something clicked to me that um, all this, like you mentioned something about statues. You mentioned something about certain details in the Bible that we shouldn't, we shouldn't look at certain things based off like their literal sense and details. And it clicked to me that Jesus is somewhat of a statue. You understand, even though man has tried, kind of found a way to um, use a particular race or an identity or stuff like that to, like, you know, like people are too focused on the Caucasian image, the hair, the mouth with the flowing stuff, but like in 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 its in its essence, it's like a statue, like that football player. Now it's like you don't know who yes. that football player is. You can't see it. You can obviously tell that okay, this is what this person represents. So um. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I'm trying to make sure you get anything else before it leaves me. Um, so yeah, using Jesus as a statue, it means that let's look at Jesus in the sense of a spiritual statue and a spirit, um, and like, okay, um, a spiritual statue in the sense that, uh, what Jesus for is what really makes us Jesus. Um, the... Jesus' ability to calm down and, you know, um, use wisdom, the wisdom of God, and to be humble and, you know, uh, <laughs> God, God, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm getting this thing mixed up. So, oh, that's about So, yeah, um, the statue, the statue, using Jesus as a statue that from, like, we should try and see Jesus as, 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 like, 
like the silhouette of what Christianity should look like. We shouldn't focus on what's on the face of Jesus. It's like, oh, okay. So let's say the, the essence of Jesus is kindness, love, um, patience, um, long-suffering, and all these things. This, these, this is really what makes Jesus Jesus. And I remember when I first joined um, Heaven's Gate, uh, at me asked us the question of, okay, let's say you take away the name Toby, Toby Marco now, if you remove Toby Marco's name, what is, does that still make me Toby Marco? You understand? Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and it, it became this back and forth thing. And then I now also use something else as an example. Let's say there's Toby Marco and there's um, somebody named Lee or, or James, for example. Now, both of us are exactly alike. Um, at the end of the day, what matters is not the name, you know, but uh, I think the spirit and the essence or what I stood yeah. for or how I treated others, my impact to the world and all that. So, yeah, I think that's all I have to say. I'm sorry if I didn't Absolutely. put it well. No, like, yeah. yes. Absolutely, Toby, thank you so much for, for that. I really, I really enjoyed listening to you. Um, thank you. And I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid to you know, articulate the things that you're thinking. If it's difficult for you to speak them, you can write them down and then, you know, it can help you articulate them better. But thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Ore, Ore, the harassing. Yes, I'm harassed you. Really? I don't have no offend the priesthood. Anyways, um, but yeah, I thank you so much for this series. I really appreciate. I'm, I'm. It's there's been a couple of things that has really stood out to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think the point where you said God creates, separates, and then fills up. It, it's kind of making me tie that back even to my own personal life and and the process of of ordaining into priesthood. Um, so, I think that I'm like, okay, God, I see what you're saying. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just a very, you know, it's a very beautiful process. Like he's created us in this space and whatever, wherever it is that we are in, but then he also calls us into separation as well, where he mm-hmm. empties us. And you know, when we keep talking about the world and next experience, um, like Toby said about the 40 days, you know, and then after that, he completely fills us in such a way that, you know, we are him basically we're basically gods um so that was such a very profound um point for me because initially let me be honest when we went to Genesis, i was like how does this tie back into priesthood <laughs> and then you know the history just gave i was like wow okay that's that's such a beautiful image then um the second thing that really um, struck out to me was, you know, we we're talking about image and likeness. And just a couple, was it a couple of days or a couple of weeks back, I was just having um, this conversation with all these friends. And I remember us in one of the Bible studies where you talked about how even that God in his supremacy is still subject to our will here on earth. And you know, just leading me through how, why, why that is so and how he has made us and he has made us literal images in in such a way that we're also kings and priests on earth and our word stands 
the same way he is king over creation. Um, and that, and so what you talking about, like us being like the physical or the visual image of God, it's like even our dominion and our, our, and the essence, the reason why God put us on earth and why he created us is literally mirroring his own supremacy over creation as well. That is why he has to, he is also subject to our own, what's it called? Our own, do I want to say, rulership on earth right so why he subjects himself let me let me put it that way rather to our own rulership and, and our words and our decrees on earth and that was just so beautiful to see how both of those things just really connected on where it was we are literally images and we're literally the image and likeness of god in every single essence um and why he even by when we gave our when seen um, kind of caused us to lose our dominion. Um, he still subjected himself to the debt that we had, you know, we had allowed in for him to still be able to redeem us, you know. So, you know, just the whole thing, it's it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful story, it's such a beautiful um exposition. And uh thank you so much for 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 these um, series. Um, but I just very quickly asked a couple of questions that was in the chat, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So one question was that, so we're talking about that creation separation and filling up. And someone mm -hmm. asked about the time when the spirit was hovering, was that kind of the spirit creating the picture or plan of what he wanted to build, um, before the creation actually started, you know? before the word started going out. Mm. Okay, so do you want me to talk about that now? Because we talk about that like in this next later? one now. Yeah. So do you okay. want to talk about no it now? Okay. We can, I think we can do it later. Then okay. the second question was, um, so we you talked about, you know, us being careful about details and then not getting too stuck on the details. So someone also asked like, how do you know when to stop questioning or focusing on the details? Like, how do you, check yourself that you're actually um concentrating on the right details basically mm. so um regarding details um one thing that is essential for our study lives is to allow the spirit of the word be our guide right um when like i said when we understand that the lord um, when we understand that the scripture, like I said, the scripture is a being, excuse me, <coughs> the scripture is a being that speaks. It's a being that communicates. And let me give an example. Um, so let me give an example. Um, okay, so we might be looking at Genesis 1. Um, and, you know, we might be wondering what is going on there. There's a spirit that is being mentioned there, you know. Um, in the bid to ask questions or in the bid to seek answers or seek clarity, um, what we will find is that we go to the book of Proverbs chapter 8, and there is a being that, is being that, is, that introduces herself. And this being is called wisdom. And then wisdom starts to talk as though, She's having a conversation with you. In fact, if you look at the book of Proverbs, you would notice that it is very conversational. So when, um, you know, the, the, have you noticed it before? 
you I mean if anyone has ever noticed it before yeah it is very very conversational it's as though someone is having a conversation with you um when wisdom comes in proverbs 8 she's just talking and you know it's very possible that one can say who asked you you know but the response of wisdom the response or the description of wisdom in the book of proverbs 8 is as a result of an ongoing question that comes into the fullness of time, which we see or we receive as an answer. Now, why I'm saying this is because when we look at Bible studies or when we look at not even just Bible studies, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd never want to be that kind of person that undermines, you know, the place of Bible studies. Um, so I'm very careful not to say not even Bible studies. Like when we look at Bible studies, when we look at, um, you know, the studying of the text, we must remember that it is a being. It is a being that communicates. It is a being that responds. It's a being that will engage you. It's a being that would wrestle with you, literally. Um, it will wrestle with you, you know, if you would allow it to engage your heart and your soul. It will pierce. I mean, when Paul was describing the word, he said the word of the Lord is like a double-edged sword that pierces through the heart, the spirit, and the soul. And what he's describing is not an abstract thing. He's describing a being that is able to pierce. It is, the piercing is a verb. It is a doing word. And a verb can only be carried out by a being that is alive and breathing. You know, so he's, he describes the word as a being that is able to pierce, that is able to divide, that is able to reveal, and is able to teach. So what we must know what you know i would encourage us to take away which is something i personally practice the studying of scripture is is a conversation with with the lord and like i said it's a it's a conversation with a being that is a bridge that takes us from one portal to the other um so when we get to that place or when we are in a place of study the person that must we must allow to guide us through the navigation of it is the being that has called us to it and is the ancient being that represents wisdom and the custodian of all knowledge of creation. And that is the Holy Spirit that resides within us. So um, you would experience it. Um, for some people, it might not be as mystical or spiritual as it will sound. For some people, you might just realize that you are experiencing a discomfort or you are experiencing a higher calling to face a specific direction. So it can be, I mean, there's knowledge that abounds around us, but even in the midst of the knowledge, the Holy Spirit is able to lead you in a particular direction. So you have to be very sensitive to what he's doing. Um, you know, it might not be like, oh, mystical, like they'll slap you and say, hey, my son, move, 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 you're a priest. No, it can actually be just a discomfort or it can just be a sense or a feeling or a knowing or a knowledge that you have to go in this, um, in this direction. So. I hope that helps you all. But basically, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Uh, it does. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. All right. So I think we can only take one more question and then go into the last part and then have questions and general conversations on this particular subject. So one more person and then we move. Hello. Good evening. Hi. Good evening. Mm-hmm. Can I, I have a question. Can I go ahead? Yes, please. Okay. So earlier on, you mentioned, good evening, everyone. Earlier on, you mentioned 
when you were giving the example about the coin and when Jesus asked if someone had the coin, you, were, you mentioned something about the thing that is being created is in the, is like the servant of the creator, right? So my question is, is there a difference between, I hear people say, oh, I'm the son of God. I hear some other people say, I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm a servant of God. Like, is it all like, just like nomenclature differences or is there actually a difference? So son, friend, child, servant of God. Yeah, that's my question. Uh, Thank you very much. That's such a, a very, I love the question. Okay, Elsha Kassel wants to answer, so. Hi, Ekioma. Well, in Hello, general, Elsha. there is, there is, um. Okay, is that coming? In general, there's a, there's a general nomenclature in that all of creation is um, an offspring of God, but, um, I mean, when we go deeper into Hebrew and also in the Greek, for example, in the Greek language, there are two words used for offspring of God. One is huios and the other is technon. In the Greek culture, just like in the Hebrew culture as well, um, when a child is born, when they reach like the age of four years old, they begin to initiate them into the study of the Torah, initiate them into the education of the culture and whatnot. And by the age of 13, they have like what is called like an initiation ritual into the society, which in Hebrew is called the bar mitzvah. You know, when a person, a child is presented before the, before the whole congregation saying, this one is a student of the law. This one has been trained in all the disciplines of our religion, our culture, et cetera, et cetera. And now this one can stand as a true representative of our culture. Now that is what is called a huos, a matured son, one who is one who is, um, well, well, I'll say a, an embodiment of the nature, character, and spirit of the father. For example, Paul talks about, I think in Galatians, that an heir that is still but a child is not different from a slave, even though he owns all things. So an heir that is a child is one who is a son of God, but that potential is still latent inside of him. It, it has not yet unfolded, right? But when the Bible talks about a huos, that's the Greek word, heos. It talks about one who has actually unfolded that character, nature, and can be trusted by God. So I think the key word is trusted. That's the difference between a child and a son. I mean, in general, you know, because like, like I talk about a lot, you know, not, not to throw shit on the English language, but English language doesn't really, like when we say son, child, like it doesn't really communicate the depths that the Hebrew language um communicates or the Greek language communicates. Like when you read it in Greek, you can definitely see that these there are two different words used for a child or an offspring of a person. One talks about an offspring that is still immature, who has not yet manifested the qualities and who is not yet trusted. And another one talks about one who is mature, who has shown that he's able to, well, hold the fort and be responsible, etc., etc. You know, so on one hand, there's a general nomenclature where Child, son, whatever they are all, they all mean like offspring of God. But on another hand, there's a state, there's a place where we talk about how, well, someone wrote on chat different levels of maturity. And maturity talks about when you as a person 
become an embodiment of the will of God. Now, that is what in Greek is called huios, one who has now become an embodiment of the law, of the culture, of the people, of the teachings. And the opposite of huios is technon, which is a child, one who is still in learning, who is in training. So, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Amal. Yes, that was helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So we have, can we take one more question and then move or I think we can move and then afterwards we can look at all the questions. It's fine. Yes. Okay. Right. Thank you. Okay. So this is the part. Um, this is the part where we I'm sorry, I'm just checking to see. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So when we look at the book of Genesis, remember I said a, a question that we should ask and just having in our journal is um, what was God, what was God making? What was he creating? Right? So we've looked at the word um, priests, not priests actually. We looked at the word um, to rule, to subdue, image, likeness. Now, this is um, a point that I want to make before we go on. Remember that the words that we use, and I mean, a lot of the words that we see points to rulership, it points to kingdom, it points to, you know, um, power and authority. In scripture, there is a theme that is very predominant and something that we should pay attention to. Very, very predominant theme. And that is the theme of, Priest, king, and prophet. Priest, king, and prophet, right? Priest, king, and prophet. Please, let's keep that in mind. Priest, king, and prophet. The priest carries the presence of the divinity. The prophet utters the word of the divinity, or the priest stewards the presence of the divinity. And this is what we must understand. The priest stewards the word, the presence of the divinity. So the priest is, all three are portals, but functioning in different ways. When the Lord created at the beginning, which we'll still see because we're looking at it, and I'm just trying to emphasize and subdue and, you know, um, and rule. When the Lord looks at priesthood, he looks at prophets, he looks at priests. He's not looking, sorry, he looks at king. In his heart, the priest and the king are not exclusive. And so the first thing that we see Adam being described as is a ruler or a king. One that exercises dominion on behalf of divinity. Something that I wrote here, God's delegated rule and God's, dele God's delegated ruler over the earth, just as earthly kings indicate their claim to dominion. They erect an image of themselves in the provinces of their empires where they do not personally appear. So are we, mankind. We are God's images and God's seal or extension of dominion on the earth. So like, I mean, I, and this is from something that I was writing while I was meditating when I was studying. Just as kings, you know, 
put images in empires that they've they've gained, they've seized for themselves. You know, man is is, is just like that. Man is God's proof that he has, thank you so much. We are God's delegated authorities, God's delegated authorities on earth. So I was saying, I, I wanted to say that before going on. So the first thing we must know is the priest stewards the presence of God. The prophet utters or speaks the mind of God. The king exerts dominion of divinity. So the king equals dominion of divinity or authority of um, authority by divinity, priests, the presence of divinity and prophets, the utterances of divinity. Now, when God was molding man, the first thing that we see, as we said here, man is first introduced as a king and is introduced as a king over a domain or a territory or a a territory, if I would say, you know, an empire or a kingdom that is established by God, right? But what I now want us to start paying attention to very, very, very carefully are things that we might have overlooked in, in the scriptures. Now, from the book of Genesis 1, from the book of Genesis 1 or in the book of Genesis 1, we look at God making something that might not seem so clear immediately, but when we see that pattern being painted in scriptures, we now see what God was doing. There is a story in the book of Exodus where the Lord speaks to his servant, Moses. And in his instruction to Moses, it is almost, oh, it is such a subtle, subtle, like what I mean subtle. It is so subtle that it's easily missed. God was asking Moses to build a temple. And the way it was documented that God built the earth is the same way it was documented that God gave the wisdom to build the tabernacle. Let me say it again. The way it was documented that God built the earth or built the cosmos. And by cosmos, I mean all of everything, <laughs> everything that is in creation is the same way or very similar to the way God asks Moses to build the tabernacle, right? So in Genesis 1, we see a domain, but as we go through scriptures, which we, when we enter the book of Genesis chapter two, which is where we are now, we see the Lord building a tabernacle. And I'll list some things to us. The first thing that we see, or the first thing that I want to point out that we can actually go home and do our studies on because of time that I took note of, took note of here. We can do our studies when we go home, but let's just take it down. In Genesis one, and by taking note of it, please, when you go home, count it. So in Genesis one, from one to, um, one, Genesis 1 verse 2 to Genesis 2 verse 3, if you count, you're going to see a lot of executions. You're going to see a number of executions. And these executions in Genesis 1, between Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, are seven of them. Seven executions. 
please count it. And by executions, I mean when it was said, and it was, and it was so. Thank you. Thank you, Fuefo. Do we get it? We're going to see seven executional reports, and it was so. Seven of them. Count it. Take time out to count it. You will see, and it was so. Seven times. The first time we see the Holy Spirit inspiring, for those of us that were not around last week, I'll keep saying it so you can go back and listen to the podcast. We see the Holy Spirit inspiring and creation is Genesis 1 verse 2, right? Now, in the book of Exodus, guess what happens? Guess what the Lord says or guess what was documented about the tabernacle that seems very familiar. And I want to know that we are, we are here because I know that we're starting to wind down. So I'm going to start rounding up soon. The first thing before the tabernacle is created, who can, get, who can, who can take a, a wild guess? Who can try? Let me not say guess, who can try? Um, can I? Yes, please. Is it the um, Holy Spirit inspiring Bezalel? Absolutely. The first thing that we see, Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2, is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Are we here? <laughs> I want to make sure we're here. Yes, yes, we are. Please we're here. Okay. All right. So in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, the Lord, the Lord's spirit inspires creation. Are we there? The yes. Lord's spirit inspires creation in Genesis 1. Yes. In the creation of the tabernacle, the Lord says to Moses, the instruction is to go to Bezalel, who has the inspiration of the spirit of God. This is before the tabernacle is made. The Lord brings again by the inspiration of the Lord. The, the, text, for, the text for the tabernacle is from Exodus 23. I think Exodus 23, 25. Are we here? I just want to know that we're, we're here. Not, not yes, we are. Okay. Yeah, we are. So the first thing he says, you see from 20, yeah, 24 to 20, to about 31. Yeah, 31. 31. This is in Exodus 31. Bezalel is spelled B, okay, B-E-Z-A-L-E-L. Bezalel and Ovalia. I'm going to read the text. Exodus 31. So you can write it down. Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hor, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. If you go, if, if we look at this text, I want us to, to remember Proverbs 8. In Proverbs 8, I mentioned that there was an, a, a, a being 
called wisdom that speaks and introduces herself. It's such a beautiful thing. Um, Proverbs 8, I'm going to read from verse 12. For I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. Now, in verse 17, uh, I'm going to look at from verse 22. The Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past at the very first before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth from their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills I was born. Before he made the earth and fields and the first handfuls of soil, I was there when he established the heavens and he drew the horizon of the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above. When he established springs deep in the earth, I was there. When he sets the limits of the sea. Are we seeing Genesis 1 here? So they would not spread beyond their boundaries. This is Genesis 1 playing out here. And when he marked off the earth's foundation, I was the architect by his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created. How I rejoiced with the human family. And this is NLT. This is NLT. This is NLT uh, translation. Now, in Exodus 31, it says here, the Lord says, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hor, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. This is the thing that the Lord says must be before all these plans are put in place. Remember, before these things are made, from the book of um, um, Exodus chapter 24, the Lord gives Moses a well-detailed map. This is Genesis 1 all over again. It gives Moses a well-detailed map of what he wants the tabernacle to be. He talks about what the, the gold, the, um, the, the, the minerals that will be used, the oils that will be used, the perfumes that will be used, the materials, the fabric, the color, the texture. He's so specific about the creation of all of these things. And then after all the map or after the, the inspiration that he gives to Moses, he now says, I have called Bezalel. I have filled him with the wisdom that is needed to make these things happen. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. The darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the earth. Then God said, let there be light. The next time we see this kind of similarity happening is when Solomon is, um, you know, Solomon dedicates the temple. Again, we see the spirit of the Lord. It's absolutely incredible. And so if you probably see what I've been saying, that at the beginning, the Lord comes to use creation, something that seems very abstract, to reveal a mystery. And then he goes further to reveal the mystery, to reveal the mystery that has been revealed, if this makes sense. The first is a mystery revealed. And in that mystery that is revealed, there is another mystery. Then he comes in the book of Exodus to reveal the mystery that is embedded in the revelation that he revealed. Do we understand what I'm saying? The creation is a mystery. It comes in Exodus 
to reveal that which seems to have been revealed. I'm saying a lot of things, right? I'm saying a lot of things. But let's say, but do you understand what I'm saying? Z, you want to say something? <laughs> so let me use an example. This is an iPod. Oh, sorry, this is a container. You see this container, but this container is able to open. So that means that although it is revealed to you, unless what is here is revealed, this is still a mystery. This container is creation. What is inside is the mystery of what creation is about. This thing that is inside is what the Lord now comes to show us in the book of Exodus 31, or from Exodus 24 to 31. Is that making sense? So the yeah. Lord reveals, right? The Lord reveals that which has been concealed by showing us that this was always the plan. So I said, when you go through the narrative of the building of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, I need us to count seven times where it is said, and, and it was so. Seven times, it's not coincidental. It's there in scriptures, we can see it very clearly, it was so. In the book of Genesis, we see that seven times. The Lord, the Lord calls forth. And sorry, I'm just trying to go through my, my notes so that I don't mix, mix anything. Yes. So seven times it was so between Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, verse 3. Then the second time we see seven again appearing. This is before the seventh, which is Shabbat. We see, and God saw that it was good. In fact, let's just do it now. From Genesis 1, verse 1, God created the earth. The earth was formless. The, the earth was without form and void. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Evening passed, morning came. Next thing, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens and the waters of the earth. And then it happened. God made this space to separate. God called the space sky. Evening passed, morning came. God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together. Have we seen what I'm saying here? Are we seeing this, please? I need to know that I'm not speaking to space. Are we seeing this? Yeah. So between Genesis 1, verse 1, to Genesis 2, verse 3, just take your time. In fact, I think that this is probably what we'll do before we come back um, by God's grace next week to see the Lord mentioning this seven times. So we can say that there are seven days of creation, number one. We can say that there are seven execution reports, number two. We can say that there are seven evaluation reports, which is number three. And then we can say that when there are certain things that are being mentioned in scriptures that maybe in the study, the study guide um, that will be shared, I will write these things down so that they don't confuse us here um, during this session. But there are a couple of, thank you, Ifeko. There are a couple of seven, 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 seven series of seven going on in Genesis 1 to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Now, when we're looking at this seven, like again, I said, it doesn't make any sense to us until we start to look at it in the context of other narratives or other, you know, um, occasions in scriptures. Then we start to realize that 
The seven is not just unique to Genesis 1. The seven is what consistently plays out in the establishment of tabernacles in scriptures, right? The establishment of tabernacles in scriptures. I just really want to know if we're here. Wisdom yeah. has a keen will to governance. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And that's why I said at the beginning that the rulership is not just about sitting down on a throne. The rulership has in itself the intricate design to build or to create. It is by wisdom you create. It is by wisdom you create. It is by the inspiration or the revelation of the spirit that you are able to govern. So all of these things are happening. Genesis 1, Exodus, Genesis 1, Exodus, 1 Kings, the temple, the tabernacle. The only time we see this correspondence correspondence going on in scriptures is in the building or in the formation of tabernacles. Does that make sense? So the first thing God reveals man as is king, but embedded in the revelation of the kingship of man, God is subtly introducing us to the concept of priesthood. Because how it is, when you look at Eden, or you look at the structure of Eden, you see that it is very clear how the Lord designed Eden. First of all, the Lord creates the expanse of land, which is the first thing. The next thing, it says in chapter two, I'm going to read verse four. The Lord made the earth and the heavens. That's the first thing. The second thing is then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed the breath of life into man's nostril, and man became a living person. Verse 8, see the second thing that happened. Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden. So the first thing the Lord creates is the earth. Then embedded in the earth, there is, a, there is an expanse of land. Do we understand what I'm saying? There's an expanse of land that is called Eden. Now, in Eden... There is an expanse of land that is called the Garden of Eden. In the belly of the Garden of Eden, it says that in the middle of Eden, God planted a tree, a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are we getting this picture? Please, I really want us to stay here. If anyone is confused, let me know. Okay. All right. It's like a vein diagram. Interesting. So let me see if I can share my screen to create or to, to, to show us a picture. Okay, so please, whatever you see here, just take it like that. All right, so, okay, if you can see my screen. So this is, sorry. Uh, Okay, I think I'm just going to select your. Yes, okay, so this, how do you draw here? Hello, Ashaka. Okay, found, found, found it. Don't worry. So this is the first one. 
Are we seeing? Yeah. Okay. So now, yeah. there's another one inside. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, dear. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> okay. Then another one. Then. Then another one. Can we see this? So please just yeah. follow the spotlight. This first one, let's say this is the expanse of land. This is what is first created. This one inside, the second box is Eden. Right? This third box is the Garden of Eden. This one in the middle is where you have the tree of life. Who is drawing on this thing? <laughs> Do we understand? Yeah. So this, where you see the red box is the expanse of land. The first, the second box is what? The garden of Eden. I'm sorry, it's Eden. And why I say Eden. it's Eden? Because when he cast out Cain, it says that Cain went to the north. Oh, sorry, Cain went to the east of Eden. And that's in chapter four. You know, Cain, chapter four, verse, chapter four, verse six. So Cain left the presence of the Lord and settled in the north of Eden, in the land of north, east of Eden. So that means that Eden was a place. Eden yeah. is like Lagos, right? And then inside Lagos, there's now Ikoi. And then inside Ikoi, there's now Albert Macaulay. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if we're looking at this thing, God created it. God created this. God created this. And he puts man here. And scripture says that he puts man here to do two words. I asked us, I, I asked us to underline those things. He placed man here to what? To tend. Uh -huh. And to what? Cultivate. To cultivate. cultivate. Yes. He uh, puts man sorry, there. Yes, which of, sorry, this is which chapter of two. The, which of them are you? Are you are you the um the arrow or the um red dots? I'm the I'm the <laughs> dots. I'm the red dots. I'm the dots. Okay, okay, thanks. Yes. Yes. So when he calls man, he puts man. Look at what he says in verse eight. I want us to pay very close attention to what God is doing. Instead, springs came, spring came from the ground and watered the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life. Number one, the life, the, the, the inspiration of God. He breathed the life in him. And then man became a living being. Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden. That is, 
This is Eden. Follow the red dots. Then he planted this garden in Eden. And when he did that, he placed man. And in, this, in the east, that's the beginning, that's this place, east. He now placed man here. I want you to really pay attention to what I'm about to say, please. He placed man here on the east of Eden. Inside this place, see what the Lord now says to him. He placed man on the east of Eden. That is the garden of Eden. He placed man in Eden. Then the Lord made all sorts of three trees grow from the ground. Then he placed in the middle, that is this middle, this point, this box is the middle of Eden. Please follow the arrow. In this middle, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of Eden. Now, I want us to, again, go back to the book of Exodus because when the Lord builds or when the Lord inspires the building of the tabernacle, the first thing we see is this expanse of land, right? And then in the expanse of land, just as the Lord made the Garden of Eden in the middle of this expanse of land, he now asks Moses to build a tabernacle. Now, this expanse of land that you see this red dot going around, this is the, this is the, the walls that the, this is the camp of the Israelites. This is the camp of the Israelites, right? In the middle of the camp of the Israelites, the Lord now asks Moses to plant a tabernacle. Do we see the similarities? He tells Moses, in the midst of the Israelites, plant a tabernacle, or we can say, plant a garden. Plant a tabernacle, or not even plant a tabernacle. Now, in this tabernacle, what does the tabernacle have? It has the outer court, it has the inner court, and then it has what? The Holy of Holies. And what happens in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of Covenant is in the midst of it. And who does he plant inside this tabernacle? The priests, the Levites. Are we seeing that he plants the Levites in the midst of the tabernacle? If we go through the instructions that he starts to paint for the Levites, you will see that the Lord actually specifically says that they are to stay in the tabernacle. And even if they were experiencing loss or death or anything at all, they were not allowed to leave. Their residence, their residence was the tabernacle. Are we seeing that the residence of the priest was the tabernacle? Now, God actually took Adam and placed him in the east of Eden. If we're looking at the entrance of the tabernacle that is made, the entrance of the tabernacle or the temple is located in the east. Is located in the east. We don't just see this in the book of um, Exodus. We see this in the book of Isaiah. We see this sorry, in the book of Ezekiel. When Ezekiel is given the prophecy after he encounters a being or an angel that has the colors of the rainbows. You know, it says he took me to the temple and the entrance was the east 
of the temple. The water was flowing from the east of the gate of the temple. Since Genesis 1 all over again, I could go on and on. Don't even get me started with the east because it is absolutely mind-blowing how God just decides to be, how he decides to do his things. I will never, ever, in fact, that's my desire. I will never, ever be able to comprehend it in its fullness, but it's full of wisdom. In the east of Eden, he puts, he puts Adam, and this is what he tells Adam to do. It says, Adam is to till the land. Are we here? Adam is to till the land. Are we here? Adam yes. is to till the land, or Adam is to walk the land, and he is to keep it. I want us to look at the two words. The first thing that he says to Adam to do is to tend and to keep it. The Hebrew word for tend, the Hebrew word for tend is the word abad. And abad, um, you know, you have abad and you have aboda. Aboda, abad is spelled A-B-A-D and then you have aboda, it's spelled A-B-O, transcribe <laughs> A-B-O-D-A-H. I know I've said this before. The words or the meaning of abad is aboda, which is A-B-O, A-B-O, aboda, A-B-O, right? So the first thing is abad, which literally means to work. The second thing, or the second thing that abad means is to serve. So you see work, you see serve, you see worship. And in the study guide that, I'm, in fact, let me just put the scripture so somebody can actually write it down. So, where you see worship is Exodus 3, verse, Exodus 3, verse 10. Exodus 3, verse 10. Exodus 3, verse 10. When the Lord sends Moses to Egypt, and he tells Moses to tell, um, he tells him to tell um, Pharaoh, let my people go, that they will worship me. Um, not verse 10, sorry. Go, what is God? I am where I'm saying to this. The God of your ancestors has sent me. Now go and gather the elders and the but I know the king will not. And the Lord says, Let my people go that they might worship me. So this is I can't even see my own handwriting. Can you imagine? Ah! Okay, no, let me look at that. Yes, um, Exodus 9, verse 12. Exodus 9, verse 12. Look at the, I'm um, sorry, Exodus 3, verse 12. Sorry. Exodus 3, verse 12. God said, I will be with you, and this will be your sign. I am the one who has sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God at this very mountain. The word that is used there is Abad, A-B-A-D, Abad, Abad. The Lord says to Adam to tend to the garden, which is Abad. In English, we say it's tend, right? But the Hebrew word there is Abad, which is to worship or to serve. And that is the first time the Lord, that is not even the first time, but that is how the Lord starts to introduce us to priesthood. And I really want us to understand 
that the essence of the Lord doing this to us or doing this with us now is because he has been speaking about raising a lineage of priests. And being a priest is not about what you put on your social media. That's not the definition of priesthood. Priesthood is not about, oh, um, see how good I, ha- I am or see how great I pray or see how many hours I spend in the place of prayer. Social media is not your seal of priesthood. Priesthood is not formed on social media. Priesthood is formed in Eden. It is formed in the Holy of Holies. That is where priests are formed. That is where a priest is validated. That is where a priest is tested. A priest is tested in the place of worship. A priest is tested in the place of service. A priest is affirmed in the place of service. And by service, I don't mean service to man. I mean service first to God. Adam's first responsibility as a priest was to God. First, it was God. That word, abad, is to worship, to tend, to serve, is to work. To worship, to serve, is service, and to tend. So work, worship, service, serve, and tend. Now, where you're going to see abad as work is Exodus 20, verse 8 to 10. Someone can please write it down. And to serve, Genesis 27, verse 29. Genesis 27, verse 29. Now, when we're now looking at Abodah, Tyro, do you want to say something? <laughs> if you can please put it in the chat box, I don't miss it. Okay, now when the question starts, I'll say, because I have some question about the East, that word East. Oh, <laughs> God, please. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, just so that we can start rounding up because it's 11 already. Um, so to serve, Genesis 27, verse 29, to worship, Exodus 3, verse, Exodus 3. I just read this thing again. Exodus 3, verse 2. Exodus 3, verse 12. Yes, Exodus 3, verse 12. Um, and then when you look at the word abodah, abodah literally is priestly duties. That's what it means, priestly duties or priestly service. You see that in Numbers 18, verse 7, and then 1 Chronicles 24, verse 3. 1 Chronicles 24, verse 3. Right? Now, the second thing is to keep to the guarding. The word for keep or to keep to the guarding is the Hebrew word shama. And shama literally means the duties of a priest. You see that in the book of Numbers 3, verse 5 to 9, um, 8, verse 23, and 31. 8 verse 23, 8 verse 23, and then you see that in Numbers 18, Numbers for Aboda, no, Aboda, Numbers 18 verse 7, please, and First Chronicles 24 verse 3, please, we're writing all of these things down to study them, and then Shama, Shama is Numbers 3 verse 5 to 9, 8 verse 23, and then 18 verse 7. Did we get that? So I'll go over it again. Abad, that is to work, is, will be seen in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 10. To serve, Genesis 27, verse 29. To worship, 
Exodus 3, verse 12. Abodah, which means priestly duties or service, will be seen in Numbers 18, verse 7, 1 Chronicles 24, verse 3, 1 Chronicles 24, verse 3. And then the second word, which is to keep it. Okay. The second word, which is to keep it, which is Shama, is spelled S-H-A-M-A-R. You will see that in Genesis 2, verse 15. <laughs> we're going to see again. Genesis 2, verse 15, which is what we're looking at now. Genesis 2, verse 15. Numbers 3, verse 5 to 9, 8, verse 23, and 18, verse 7. So what we're looking at is, hope we've gotten all of them. What we're looking at in this text, after the Lord is carving out a temple, is he places Adam in the east of the garden, and then he says Adam is to tend to the garden, and to watch over it, to tend to the garden and to watch over it, to tend to the garden and to watch over it, to tend to the garden and to watch over it. That is to abad or aboda and shama. And these are two words that are consistently used in scriptures to explain the legal duties of priesthood. Is that incidental? Is that coincidental? That the Lord takes us through the journey of creation and then brings us to the core, which is the peak of this text. He makes man in his image, in his likeness, gives him dominion, gives him authority, gives him the ability to rule over all of creation, carrying within himself the intrinsic nature of creativity that we see at the beginning. And then when he does this, he now comes to create an expanse an expanse within the expanse, an expanse within the expanse, and then he creates a temple in the middle of all of these things, and then he places man in it and tells man to tend and watch over it, which is the duties of a priest. That being said, the first time we see priesthood being mentioned in scriptures, which is why I said, if you're having a conversation with the Bible, and then he happens to talk about Melchizedek, and then you say, oh, Melchizedek was a priest. Now, or perhaps, we can now see where he gets his reference from. That if we were to look at what it means to be a priest, the first picture that this scripture presented to us is the Lord in the essence of priesthood in that he establishes a tabernacle. And interestingly, after establishing the tabernacle on the seventh day, he rests in this tabernacle as though one that has come to dwell in the beauty of his creation. Now, in the creation of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, on the seventh day, the Lord rests on the tabernacle. Maybe or maybe not, we start to see the relationship between the creation of the earth, the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the creations of the tabernacle. And then at the dedication of Solomon's temple, it says that the spirit of the Lord rested on the temple. This again happens after the dedication of the temple. First time in creation, second time with Adam, the third time with, um, um, sorry, the first time with, with Adam, the second time in the book of Exodus, 
or sorry, when we see Melchizedek, we see where it stems from. And then the, the, the third time we see that with Solomon's temple. We could go on and on, on and on about the, 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 the revelation of priesthood. But the first thing that I do want us to realize is that the priesthood was not set up as a system or a, a system of, of separation between God and man. Priesthood is first set up as a system that marries creation with creator. As a priest, this is the first assignment of man. The marriage or the intermediation or the mediation, not even the mediation, the, the, as to serve as a portal between the heavenlies and the earth, between the creator and the creation. As a priest, your first point of responsibility or man's first point of responsibility was to abide in the tabernacle or in the house of the Lord. That's the first thing that a priest is called to do. It is to abide in the house of the Lord. It is to abide in the house of the Lord. To abide in the house of the Lord. Now, see what now starts to play out in, in Genesis 3, which is the final part of this text. Genesis 3, when man falls, Genesis 3, verse 22. See what it says here. Sorry, Genesis 3, verse 23. Again, after sending them out, out Genesis 3, verse 24. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Upon the fall of man, we see the replacement, which is the suspension of the institution of priesthood until certain requirements are met which is what we'll speak about in the coming weeks, by God's grace. And he places this man, he places, it, you remember, do you remember in Genesis 2, who was placed in the east of Eden? Adam. 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 In Genesis 3, who is placed in the east of Eden? Mm-hmm. And what is used to guard the way of the tree of life? Let me source. A flaming sword. And if we're going through scriptures, what else is described as a sword and a flaming sword? The word. The word. The word. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. I'm coming in. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So in the book of Revelations, let's look at Revelations chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, in John's vision, in John's vision, see how he describes the Son of God. He describes the Son of God in a very interesting way. Now, when I turned to see who was speaking, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands, and the lampstand is located in the what? In the tabernacle, is located where? The menorah is located where? Anyone wants to try? Um, Holy of Holies. Absolutely. 
Now, he's speaking about someone that is in the middle of all this, right? In the middle of the Holy of Holies. Now, he says, and standing in the Holy of Holies, in the middle of the lampstands, was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head was the hair, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like the flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in the right hand, and a sharp, look at that, a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all his brilliance. Now, if we go back, he says, his eyes were like the flames of fire and his mouth, his mouth was like two-edged sword that came from, two edges, a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. The first time we see a reference of the two-edged sword is when Paul speaks about the word of God. And this is actually why sometimes when I'm doing studies, I actually thank God for Paul, you know, because he's such a blessing to the body of Christ. He's such a blessing. He comes and he says, the word of the Lord is like a two-edged sword that is able to do what? To pierce, to divide the soul from the spirit and reveal the intent of a man's heart. Now, that means that if we're looking at what the Lord was doing that was going to enable man to gain access back to the tree of life, it meant that man had to be tested and tried by the word of God that he had disobeyed, which led to his fall. This same word that he, that, that he disobeyed is the same word that will still serve as a redemptive weapon to bring him back into the Holy of Holies. When we speak about the fire in Hebrews chapter 12, when Paul is talking about the consuming fire of the Lord, he's speaking about the purifying fire of the Lord. The fire that purifies, so consistently you see fire, fire, his feet are like fire, you will be tested by fire, you've seen that scripture, we will be tested by fire, our works will be tested by fire. So that means that the fire is a weapon of, of purification. Now, interestingly, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks again about this word, and he says that this word is the water that will wash the bride with what? With, he will wash the bride with water so that he can present himself. And where does he reside? He resides in the, in the Holy of Holies. It says he will wash the bride with water, with the water of the word, so that he can present her to himself as one that is without blemish or wrinkle or spot. And that means that that which will purify man is the word. That which will test the word of the, of the that which will test the heart or the intention or the motive of a man is the word. That which will purify the soul of a man is the word. And so in the book of Revelations, when Jesus is speaking to the churches, he says, To anyone that overcomes, I will give you the what? The authority to do what? To eat from the tree of life. The tree of life is in the holy of holies, which is in the garden of Eden. So the tree of life is in the midst of all of these things that are happening, in order for you to be able to pass through that entrance that is on the east of Eden, that entrance that is the entrance of the tabernacle of God, we will be tested by the word, we will be tried, even in the book of Psalms, it says that the word of the Lord came to David and it was what? It tested him. 
The word came to David and that word tested him. There is none of us here that will speak about the time that God has given us a word. Or even when the Lord has sent us or led us to a part of studying the word that we do not feel tested by it. The day the Lord starts to teach you about love, that's when you know the vile that is in your heart. The day that the Lord starts to teach you about patience, that's when you know that you are an impatient person. The day that the Lord starts to teach you about holiness, and priesthood, what is happening now, the Lord is going to start exposing the things in our lives that has disqualified us, literally, or the things in our souls that has hindered us, not disqualified us, but has hindered us from coming into the full expression of priesthood. When the Lord sends a word, that word will test us. When the Lord said to Adam, Adam, I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of anything, but not this word. The Lord was not saying to Adam, oh, because I've said it, it will happen. No, the Lord was, was exposing a thing in the heart of Adam. And if Adam was wise, Adam would look at that as a cautionary tale, as opposed to the way we read, we read it now in our time. Oh, if God knew, why did he allow Adam to go through it? No. God knew, so he pre-informed Adam. And Adam had a choice to listen or not. The same way the Lord said to Cain, 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 sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. But see what he says, but you must subdue it and be its master. Cain did not kill his brother because God told him. No, God pre-informed Cain that this is, a, this, is, this is a reality. This is a thing that is contending for the soul of your, for the, for the throne of your soul, Cain. But you cannot be a victim of it. You must subdue it. Look at that word he used. It's the same word he used in Genesis chapter one, that he created man in his likeness and his image to do what? To rule and to subdue to rule and to subdue. So that means that, if I'm going to say this now, please feel free to slap me for wherever you are, but I'm in my house, you can't slap me from Zoom. Nothing that was made was made outside God. I will say it again. Nothing that was made was made outside God. That means that heaven and hell reside in him. Hell is not outside of God. It is not outside of God. It is his ability to see, his ability to know, and his opportunity for us to mature in our priesthood that is able to pre-inform us that sin is couching at your door, but you must subdue it. That is the only way you can ascend as a priest. Presented to Cain was an opportunity to go in the direction or in the pathway of ascension. The Lord told Cain, I have presented a pathway to you, Cain. You will either take it or leave it. And the same thing the Lord said to Adam. Adam was a priest, but Adam as a priest was not yet tested in its fullness. And the thing that had to test him was the motive of his heart. The Lord's word was sent to test Adam. Has any of us noticed that the time that the Lord says, wait for me, wait for me, I'm coming, I'll give you something, it's coming. That's the day that you will now think that God has amnesia. 
God, oh God, you told me to wait. God, 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 you said I should wait. I'm waiting, oh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. He has sent that word to reveal the impatience of our hearts. Every word that the Lord sends will try us. It will test us. The word of the Lord will test us. The word of the Lord will open our hearts to see the motive of our hearts, to see the demarcation between our spirit and our soul. And what that means is we're able to see that our being here is still requires an ascension. It still requires, you know, a, a, a transformation. It still requires a learning, a pattern. And what I'm saying all of this, you might be asking, is it that Adam was always Adam? God did not become, God did not know all that he knew in, by, by chance. Does that make any sense? He's not God by chance. There's no randomness in God. There is no wisdom that can be hidden in God. There is no knowledge that can be hidden in God. There is nothing that can hide from God in that David said, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I ascend to the highest, you are there. If I descend to the lowest, you are there. Wherever I go, you are there. You know my thoughts even before I utter them. Meaning there is no wisdom, there is no knowledge, there is nothing that exists that exists out of God. But the possibility of us coming into the fullness of our priesthood is by the testing of the word. When the word comes, it will test us. When the word comes, it will divide. It will reveal. When the word comes, it will divide, it will reveal. When the word comes, it will snipe, it will prune, it will prune. Absolutely, Omolara, the word separates first. When the word comes, it will separate, it will cause a divide. And we're able to see what is, what should be from what should not be. Thank you. Now we're getting the picture. Then when he does that, the word will fill us. The word will wash us. The word will wash us. It is in the filling. When Jesus was saying that those that believe in me, out of them will flow rivers of living water. I've said this thing before. There is an extent that one should be filled up that can cause an overflowing. It is not just by confessing and becoming. No, you don't confess and become overflowing. You must be filled before you overflow. And that is why I said the first point of the affirmation of our priesthood is not social media. It is not friends. It is not the people around us. The first point of the affirmation of our priesthood is the one that has called us to serve in the holy of holies. So this word will come. This word will test. This word will separate. This word will reveal, this word will begin to adjust and begin to fill up. It will fill up. It will fill up. It is in this feeling that we can now boldly say that we have come into the full expression of the image and likeness of Christ. The Lord has called us as a lineage of priests, royalty priests in a kingdom, kings and priests, to rule and to subdue, to tend and to guard. 
But before that word comes, it's all here. Everything that I've said, there's nothing that I've said that is not here. There's nothing I've said, there's nothing that the Lord has shared with us today that is not in his word. And let me be honest, it's what breaks my heart so much for a church that does not have regard for the word of God. That is why we are going up and down without identity, without any form of, 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 of understanding, because we have cut ourselves off the portal that is supposed to lead us to the heart and the mind of God. And when it leads us there, it, it literally is like the Lord created an avenue to reach him. The Lord created a platform or an access or a pathway to access his heart. Now, if I come before, if I come before a, if I come before a, like a wealthy man, right? Except that man is stingy. Ah! Except that man is stingy, I will leave his presence broke. But if a man is wealthy, and I know that he's wealthy, and I know what he has, and I know the value of what he has. If I know the value of what he has, if I find this man and he has what I need, I'm not gonna leave him until he gives me what I'm looking for. If we don't know the value of the word that has been given to us, the value of the word that has been given to us, we cannot harvest what is in the word. Priesthood is not a new age language. Priesthood is not something that just, it's not a cool word. Priesthood is what is from the very beginning. Priesthood is what was, what is, and what is to come. Because how do I know this? In the book of Revelation chapter 14, sorry, in the book of Revelation chapter 7 and, and, verse 14, and chapter 14, uh, the Lord starts to speak about a bunch of people that are called the virgins, the remnants, the 144,000 that stand in his presence, all dressed in white, holding palms and singing before the throne. Holy, 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 holy are you, Lord. That is the image of priesthood. That is the image of priesthood. That my resting place and the place of my tabernacle, the place where I rest my head, is in the presence of the Lord. And on one hand, I am looking at the presence of the Lord as my resting place, but I am also eager that to submit myself to the Lord as his resting place. So for some of us, we are in a place where we're looking for rest in God. But this is the question God is asking us this evening. Are you going to be the place of my rest? I'm going to close with this text that says that I, ah, every time I read this text, my heart just, I'm just like God. My heart, my, I'm just like God, please, please, please. Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says. This is the Lord that started out with building a tabernacle of the earth. That started out with building a tabernacle of the heavens and the earth. And then raised man as a king and a priest. This same God now comes in Isaiah 66 to say, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? 
Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heavens and the earth. They are everything in them and are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. But I really like one particular translation that says, where is the place of my rest? Oh, my days. Where is the place of my rest? If we are not going to be people that really want to live out this life, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Because priesthood is not something that ended with Aaron or Eli or Jesus. First Peter 1 says that. Thank you so much for, saying, for sharing that scripture, El Shakar. First Peter 1 I feel like God always reproves me when I, when I call you El Shaka. <laughs> First Peter 1, sorry, 1 Peter 2, it says you are living stones that God is building. Do you see that? Again, building. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. I want that to sink in. Maybe Genesis 1 will help us understand. You are living stones that God is building. This is Genesis 1 all over again. This is Exodus all over again. This is 1 Kings all over again. You, now, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more? You are his holy priest. When there is a temple, there must be priests. The temple and the priest go hand in hand. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Now, this is what makes a priest. His life, his life is an ever-burning fragrance. His life is an ever-burning incense. As scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given to him. Verse 9, but you are not like that. That's those that stumble. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, creation that is set apart for him, God's very own possession. This is Genesis 1 all over again. God creates, God dominates, God places into the trust of man. He gives man authority because it is his. Now he's saying it again. Now he brings Genesis 1 and makes it about the body, makes it about you, makes it about me, makes it about all of us. And then he says, you are a holy nation, God's own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Genesis 1. This is Genesis 1. I'm so sorry I'm shouting, but this is Genesis 1. Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And then God called the light day and darkness night. First Peter 2. He's saying you are to show forth the good works of God. And that is what, someone was asking what's the difference between the light in Genesis um, 1 verse 3 and Genesis. The showing forth, 
Oh my days. Oh my days. The showing forth. Sorry, let me be cool. I think I lost my home training for a while. I don't have home training. Not in this case anyways. But God says, Peter says that you are to show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity, now you are God's people. In quotes, you are God's image and likeness. Once you received no mercy, now you have received the mercy of the Lord. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires as priests that wage war against your very souls. This is literally, this is Genesis 1, 2, 3. All, won't be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Whew, on that note, <laughs> on that note, I'm just going to round up. I'm going to end here. Speedy. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to give room for us to ask questions and, you know, we would um, call it a night. Okay, so, so this is the image in my head, right? God is a painter. He has his canvas and he sits down and he paints the earth. And he paints the earth to reflect his spiritual environment, which prior to his painting could not be seen. So this painting is a way of making that spiritual world real and to convey his spiritual world to our to physical eyes and make it tangible. Then he makes man in his own image. And this idea of own image is like, you know, you paint, a, it's like a designated image that you have for a particular, it's like, for example, how a lawyer would go to court. I don't know who wears the wig and the cap, but this is the image for this environment, which is why even when Jesus came, Jesus came in this same image of man, which is why he looked like everybody in his time. So it's, so it's like God saying, this is the image I approve for this earth that I have created, which is that, that, you know, that dialogue of, does God look like this? God, does God not look like this? If he's in this earth realm, he looks like this because that's what Jesus looked like. And then because he's not a normal painter, he now breathes life into this painting and then conveys his likeness and his essence into it. And then because this painting is like a, is a, it's a, temp, it's a um, reflection of his spiritual environment, it contains the same precepts and patterns, which is now mm -hmm. when you started explaining the, um, the garden, explaining the tabernacle, and then you brought it to, uh, what you call it? You brought it to, uh, Peter, the, the first Peter, everything with everything is the same because everything started from his spiritual, his his own environment that we could not see. And anytime we try to do anything that is contrary to um, contrary to this um, image that he has painted, we can't. It's like we keep. That's why we say we run around in circles. Because we are, we are now being, so we can't, um, what's the word? It's like, okay, it's like a game, like a, like a football game that the rules have been set. And every time you don't get the rule, you keep, you keep going and going at, at it because you're trying to do something that is contrary to how it was originally created. But only when we live by God's pattern, do we, are we now able to fulfill our, mis uh, our priestly 
office and uh, um, have dominion and rule and all of these things. Mm. So this is what I understood. Is this, is this, yes. So does this kind of capture <laughs> what you Absolutely. I really love this narrative that you, I love this picture. I really love it. And what I do is because it's so visual, it's so graphic. So God is it, God, God, and all, you know, I mentioned something earlier that God is, God is, um, God has a center. The center is you and I. And let me explain what I mean. God has a center and he has a circumference and his circumference is boundless, right? God has a focal point and he has a boundless circumference. What that means is, so for example, you as a person, Nancy, if the Lord reveals something to you, you are a point in creation. Do you understand what I'm saying? You yeah. are a point in creation. So he reveals himself through you. Now, the people that will benefit from that re revelation will be beyond you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. you cannot control the beneficiaries of the revelation that God has given to you. A very clear example is um, this guy. What's this man's name? Oh my God. Holy Spirit, please remind me. I can see his face. I can literally see his face. I'm just trying to remember his name. He came to teach the principle of, oh, in the black church. It's very popular. Eh? Yes. Martin Luther King in history is a point. But what God has revealed through Martin Luther King is beyond him. That circumference is boundless. Do you understand what I'm saying? You and I are here because God decided to use a point to reveal himself. Now, this God has a point, but his, bound, his borders are boundless like you can't measure him and that's why, why i say i really like that narrative is because it's so graphic god is um the reason i use this um, narrative of the point and the circumference is whenever we think about god and, and i'm hoping that's one of the conversations that we get to have you know um in, in doing one of these sessions or maybe in some other sessions by god's grace and when we think about god we always think about a being sitting on the throne wearing white, long beards, you know, and all of these things help meditation. But God is more than that. God is beyond that. In the sense of, in the sense that in, 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 Chronicle, in Colossians 1, when Peter, and when Paul is speaking about Christ, he says that Christ is, is the beginning of all creation. Let me read it here. For he is God in all his fullness. Sorry. Yeah, Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. This is like lightness, you know. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdom, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Why I'm reading this text is because I want us to start thinking of God as one that is not confined to a static place. Here is what I mean. If God created earth, if God created heaven, that means that he is both outside of it and is inside of it. 
Does that make sense? So that means that he's both outside and in, right? And that must mean that he cannot be confined to a static or a nested place or a nested heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, there are realities that abound in God. When God is teaching us about priesthood or God is teaching us about prophets or God is teaching us about kingship, he's expressing essence of himself that he desires to bring us into. If the, if the idea is to create likeness and images, that is Imago Dei, if it's, if, it's, if it's to create people that are like him or extensions of, of him or, you know, parts of him, then that means that those people must understand certain things about him that they must consider culture or practice or doctrines or habits, right? So God now sits down, like you said, God stays in the reality of his being. And then he starts to paint a picture that if it was in this realm, if priesthood was going to look like this, or if there was going to be priesthood in this realm, or if I'm going to make you understand the essence or the priesthood nature of my being, this is what it would look like. Mm. You get, this is what it would be like. This is what you would act like. This is what you would speak like. This is what you would do. You would prevent yourself from this. You avoid doing this. You avoid doing that. You avoid all of these things. We might be looking at it as God's instruction to Aaron, but that is the only, or that is the way at the time God knew to explain the priesthood dimension of his being. Um, and, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So he paints these pictures and then we see them. We see them play out. And so we're able to understand. We're able to understand. Now, all of these things that he's painting now, they now start to serve as steps, right? They, st- they start to serve as ladders. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I understand priesthood. And I don't understand priesthood because I have theological knowledge. I understand priesthood because now there is a being or an aspect or the priesthood dimension has been activated in me, right? So I am living or I understand it from a place of my reality. It is something I am. It is who I am. It is not just what I do. It is who I am. Now, I see priesthood. That's a level. I see sonship. That's an expression or a revelation of Christ. I see fatherhood. That's an expression of Godhead. I see, um, you know, I see or I understand um, the kingdom of God or the royalty of God. That's a level. On and on and on and on and on. I am now seeing that as all of these things begin to birth in me or as these things begin to become reality in me, then God is now able to tell me, now let me show you what I have been saying from the onset. That's what John experienced in, in the book of Revelation. Because there were things that John was seeing that he clearly put it there. Even though he had read about these things in the Torah, he did not understand them. (laughs) He had the understanding by the Torah. But when the Lord started to show him the mystery in the revelation, he started to ask questions. You know, tell me. Like, for example, in, in, in Revelation 7, when he saw the 144,000 standing before the throne of God, he says one of the elders asked him, who are these beings? He looked at the man and said, you know. In, in case in point, I don't know. So just tell me. 
even though I have seen it with my eyes, I still understand that there is a mystery. Um, there is a mystery that is hidden in the revelation. So um, that's such a beautiful analogy. It's something I'm going to keep to heart. I'm going to just keep in heart, you know, take to heart um, this picture of God being a painter. So, 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 so beautiful. Thank you very much for, for that. But yes, absolutely beautiful. Um, confidence. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Thank you so much. God bless you. Hmm. Yeah. Um, my question is coincidentally about pain as well. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you? Can, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So, um, when you were talking about how when the word of God comes, it is not to, it is not like it's casting stone and saying. Oh, because I said this is how you are going to behave, but literally it's preempting something he has already seen in you and it's trying mm-hmm. to bring your attention to it so that you can overcome it, subdue it as as it were in Genesis chapter uh, chapter one, verse 18 or 19, I think. So when I read um Genesis 4, verse 7, when you know the when God is talking to Cain and warning him about you know telling him that, oh, sin is crouching at your door, it desires to rule over you, but you have to rule over it. That's exactly what it says in that scripture, mm. um, Genesis 4, verse 7. So if, I, if, I, if I'm drawing the parallel between this, what I see here, and I want you to tell me that is right, is that um, when God now tells man, in, oh, he talks about man in Genesis 1 that he has created, let us make man an image that he can rule over the earth. I'm mm. not thinking, has God, is it that God saw a potential in man for the earth to rule over him? Yes. And he's telling him, rule over the earth. So like that, just that position, like, if you don't rule over this thing, this thing is going to rule for you. Right? Mm-hmm. And so every single day of our life, we have that struggle between, you know, the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. And it's like, if the, if the spirit will not rule over the flesh, the flesh is going to rule over the spirit. So either yeah. way, there's going to be a ruling. But what the Lord mm-hmm. intends for man is that the man, man, you know, in coming, after being washed by the word, will come into that priesthood where he does rule as a king and a priest. That's sure. what I'm seeing here. And I wanted to ask if that was... Um... Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, that's that's what's happening. I couldn't have said it any better. Yes, that's what's happening. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Your hand is down. So. Before we go, I just want to, I would like to just invite um, three people, three people to just, you know, share their takeaway from the session. Um, and, you know, so before we go, like next, next, when we see again, we'll be looking at, <laughs> God, this is such a trap, but yeah, we'll be looking at Melchizedek and Abraham. Um, so the priesthood of Melchizedek, so. By God's grace.
God will God will speak with us. God will share with us. So um, yeah, please, if three people can just have their takeaway. So yeah, we have Wenye Uluwa Bukumi and Rejoice. Elsha, if I want to say something. Yes, you want to say something. Yes, you want to say some. So, okay, when you please go for it. <laughs> um, hi. So, thank you for like this session and like thank God and everything. Um, yeah. I, you know, like I don't know if you guys have ever felt so full that you want to fall asleep, not even in a bad way, but you just feel very, very full. I was just like, oh my God. I've never felt this drowsy before in my life, but not in a bad way, but like in a good way. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But anyways, um, so essentially what I was just thinking about was when um, Jesus was like teaching the Lord's Prayer, right? And essentially what just came to mind was that he was teaching us, actually was inviting us to actually experience priesthood, right? And like to be a channel through which we we like establish the will of god on the earth and, like the channel for yeah what you said about the marriage how the holy spirit explained it was that he was inviting us into explain and um, um, into like experiencing priesthood and like actually um and um, being channels for a marriage between like god and the earth the will of god um on earth and stuff um and also oh. another how um like when jesus died um and like you know how he died it was i was just actually thinking about it how he died to like save us from our sins and then he separated us from our sins and then he um and then he filled us with like the holy spirit like so we kind of see like separation and then being filled um yes yeah, so i saw that um and yeah, this statue thing, that statue thing was very, 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 very good. Because I started like contemplating, like just thinking like, okay, so if I am truly like, quote unquote, like a statue of God or like someone who is made in the likeness of God, what would that mean for me? Because like, it means that someone who is made in the likeness of god if god is not moved i won't say if he's not moved by anything but like god is not afraid so like mm. fear isn't something that should be found in me and then i just mm. started like what what then first of all a question that comes to mind is what then happens when i find fear in me how do i deal with that as someone who is meant to be an image who resembles an image of the one who made me right like how mm. do you um the oh by the way i understood the rule thing <laughs> just so i'm clear okay yeah. yeah so um yeah so um how exactly like what are the actions that are to be taken when you realize that there's something that you're not that is stopping you from completely reflecting the one who made you is what i'm saying yeah. making Yes, it is. Absolutely. No worry. Just keep going. Uh, yeah. And just thank you for this because... Oh, yes! One more thing! One more thing! Oh, my gosh! So, 
yeah essentially someone asked me like someone asked me during a discussion like why bad things happen on the earth and stuff and why bad things happen on the earth if god is here and he's so good and if he's so lovely and whatnot and then I didn't know the answer like obviously everyone that said free will free will but I was like hmm yes that's interesting and then one day like the Holy Spirit was like he now like invited me to study um like he even he explained priesthood before I even knew like before like the name like before the name priesthood I was just like when I was remembering what Anyway, let me just explain so he was like literally that if the will if the role that god gave man was to establish on earth as it is in heaven if you remember the lord's prayer and like it's so so interesting how jesus actually invites us into priesthood in like lord's prayer it's literally yes. a template so like yeah so in the, in the lord's prayer it says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and then if we are not there to like you know be conduits for the will of god to be established on earth as it is in heaven then what is now there where there is no light there is darkness and so we cannot be like put we can't really blame god if the role if we now like i say like yeah throw away our role and stuff of making sure that there is light um and like mm. you, the will of god is established on earth and like you know there's like bearing of fruit yeah. and stuff. so it really like helped because then i now realize that like man actually does have a role every single human being on this earth has a role um to literally bring down it's like it sounds yeah not in terms of christianese but just to partner with god to bring down yeah. like and to like to be a priest it's just yeah. good wow wow thank you <laughs> welcome thank god thank you jesus i'm happy yes bukumi so we have bukumi and rejoice and call it a night guys sorry before we go how did how did i how did we do with time today <laughs> how did we do, do with time today uh, we did well though you were making progress. <laughs> okay. I actually expected like one extra hour. Oh, thank God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Thank God. All right. Bukumi. All right. Good evening, everyone. I hope it's morning yet. <laughs> I hope you can hear me. And uh, yes. right now, like, I don't even know how I feel, but like, just like um, Oyechi said, I think I feel very full and I feel very excited because this is actually my first time attending a live Bible study teaching by Rabbi Esther. Like, this is my first time. I've never been live when you teach. So I'm actually super excited to have um, attended. And, you know, tonight was just really eye-opening. Just, I don't know if I can ever... Um, get over with studying Genesis 1 right from when we started in um, HGA and you know Shaka was just teaching us a lot of things concerning from um, 
the origin and all that, like looking at it right now. And, you know, recently I had to also go back to Genesis 1 to study with a friend. And it's just amazing how that what we were studying, like this whole session just opened my eyes, especially when you were explaining concerning the, the first phase of um creation, you know, the separation and how God is building something. And it was just really, really interesting to understand how intentional God has been right from the very, very, very beginning, the old separation, filling up, creating, and, you know, the old tabernacle thing and the drawing. I don't think the drawing you made would leave my head. I don't think it would ever leave my head. And, you know, it just, it just, um, it just really made a lot of sense and how you explained the visible form and the invisible form, because, um, for me, it looks like I've I've always skipped the likeness part, but when we get to that Genesis 126, I'm, we're always talking about image, 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 but we do not really get to understand likeness and all that and how you broke it down, just really opened my eyes. And it's funny how I didn't know that Kabash was actually like, maybe like a poor word I represent this one. I do not know. Kabash, <laughs> 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 yeah, Kabash. I do not know. <laughs> So this night when he mentioned, I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> when I hear something, I'll go and check the meaning. What's the meaning of what people are saying? And all that. So right now, when I say I want to kabash, now I have an understanding. I'm not just saying I'm Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I have, I have a better Absolutely. understanding of it. So for me, I just think like, like when said, I've been fed full and I think now that you know when approaching scriptures is just really going to be really eye-opening and i just want to pray that the lord will continue to strengthen you and give you more wisdom thank you so much thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you for yes rejoice hey good evening well, I have plenty of questions, but <laughs> let me just ask. The first one is uh, that part of Genesis where you spoke of. I think I blanked out. I think my mind blanked out at that part where you said Genesis is the spirit revealing flesh or the spirit using. I didn't really get that part. Where you explain about gender revolution, then how also how you now connected it to um, the image and priesthood also blanked yeah. out there. Then also like my whole experience here is I feel really sober, kind of like my mind is not able to grasp a lot of things that you said because you dropped a lot of bodies you dropped quite a lot of bodies and it's like my mind is not able to grasp a lot of them even though I feel like inwardly my spirit yeah. is quite happy with the answer yeah. I can't hear you again Josh. my mind is not able to grasp a lot of them when you tie up the part of James because I didn't really get I didn't really get it okay um, so first of all, Rejoice, and anybody else that is, you know, probably like experiencing what Rejoice is experiencing, I want to just encourage us, and I want to encourage us with a story, like a personal story. Um, so 
when there was a time that the Lord was leading me into like a form of studies that was just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a norm for me. You know, it was not, it was not what I was used to. Like I was finding myself in the midst of people that were using words like pathways, doorways, gateways. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, who are all of these people? You know, um, and then they'll say things like ascension, um, this, ah, I think Jesus, so all these things. You know, it just seemed like a lot. Like God was just, but God just kept asking me to stay, to just stay. You know, he, he would just tell me stay. Like I would just looking at them sometimes and I would just zone out. Like I was just looking at people's mouths and I would zone out. Um, there was a time I went for a meeting and this particular lady was teaching. Um, it took me, I keep saying this thing and I, maybe I've said it before at the early part of, of, of MBSB, but it took me three days to understand what this woman said. Like I went home that night I went home that evening crying because I didn't understand what she said. I knew that she said something. I knew that. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this before, is experiencing this, but I just feel the Lord leading me to share this with you. I knew that this woman said something. I knew it, but I did not understand it. Like everybody was just like, mm, oh, and I was just like, I don't understand Jack. Like, I don't get anything this man is saying. I went home and I cried. The next day, I woke up. I went to listen to what she said because there was a podcast. So I just kept playing it. The third day, I'm not kidding you. It sprang up in me like light. Years after, I still remember what that woman thought. And it hasn't left me. Why I'm saying this is, for some of us, we know that this is a path that God has set us on or set us in. I'm not talking of, you know, some of us that know that God is asking you, stay here, let me do it. We know that God has set us on this path. And for one reason or the other, it just feels like a lot. Um, I just really want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you that you shouldn't, I want to encourage you to not stop. Don't stop. Rejoice. This is you. Don't stop. When the podcast is out, if the podcast of the Christ, the, Christ, the podcast of the Christ is out, go and listen to it. Listen to it as many times as you feel led to. Listen to it. Ask questions. Write down your notes. Have a conversation with someone that you probably know was in that, in that class. Don't stop. I'm not kidding you. Don't stop. Like sometimes I, I even today, if I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys, I didn't even know how I was going to sit down here to teach. Because, like I said at the beginning, I just felt I've been feeling very raw. I've been feeling very, very, very raw. You know, um, Shaka was trying to help me to download something on my, my laptop, and it wasn't downloading. Um, and it was like some minutes to the meeting, like maybe like to, maybe like past seven. You know, my laptop started freezing. Like just so many things were going on, you know. I was just like, God, do you think, do I think, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to, you know, resume. I don't like, I just really just, I just felt very overwhelmed. But when we set up everything, you know, I looked at him and I said, I feel like God is, I feel like God is, I feel like this is an attack. Um, 
was yeah i kind of i felt like it was an attack not on the meeting but on my mind and it was it was targeted at making me um tired or exhausted or you know just feel all sorts of things that i don't even feel like is needed right now we needed to see right now but i did feel that you know but i knew that god was very keen on for me personally god has been very keen on me pushing regardless of how i feel you know regardless of how i'm feeling i have to just push i've learned by his grace to push so i'm saying this not as something that i read in a book um, I've shared it also that there was a time that I would read the Bible and I would not understand anything. I would not even remember what I just read some minutes ago. I would forget. It would just fly out of my head. But God just asked me to stay. And I just stayed because he asked me to stay. So even when people that were talking will be talking and they'll be speaking English, I would just they look one mouth to the other. That's all I said. <laughs> you know, I was just looking up from one mouth to the other, you know, um, but I do know that I, I have the fruit today and I'm still, it's still like a garden and it's still like a place that I'm tilling, you know, by God's grace till I die or till God calls me home. I'm just sharing this, not because I feel like sharing a story or anything, but I just really feel to comfort you with that. Um, it's okay. It's okay to admit. And I really applaud your honesty to, uh, to admit that, you know, I don't really get this thing. Um, so I didn't get some things when the podcast comes out go back to those particular places that you do not get and listen to them over and over again you have a bunch of people here that are willing to have conversations with you in the telegram group you know in your community just just allow yourself to to be a child I think that's what it is um, I'm enjoying the wonder of being a child so allow yourself to flow to be a child, allow yourself to just be a child, you know, and um, yeah, so when the podcast comes out, um, thankfully it's recorded to the laptop, so it should be ready in no time. When it comes out, please listen to it, ask questions in the group, whatever you are confused about, just ask, and, you know, everyone here, I believe, is willing to help one another build soon. Yeah, and well done. It's not easy. It's not, it's a scary thing, but well done. And um, I pray that God will, God will cause you to reap the harvest that's uh, of the seeds that are being sown in the, in, the, in the field of your life, in the field of your soul, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you because um, personally, I just, I've seen your hand. I see your hand. Um, you know where I was <laughs> when this started, and I know where I am now. Um, thank you for every single person here. Um, some of us didn't know what to expect. Some of us um, have had our expectations exceeded by the revelation of your wisdom. We thank you for every single person that was in this room tonight. Every, um, I think the 170 people um, or over that came to fellowship with you. Um, I just pray that our hearts are blessed. I pray that even in the night times, as we go to bed tonight, may the wisdom visit us. May the wisdom of your priesthood, may the revelation of your priesthood visit us. May it teach us in our dreams. May it expand our understanding. Where my humanity has stopped, Lord, I ask that your spirit continues. 
I ask, Father, that you enlarge our understanding, you enlarge our minds. I pray, Father, that you will teach us, Lord, that this is not just theory. This is a realm. This is a reality. This is a dimension that you are calling us to enter. So, Father, Lord, I just pray that every word that has been sown, every seed that has been sown, even for those that were here one minute or one second, the seeds that were sown, Lord, may it germinate, may it bear good fruit in our lives. But even if we don't remember this moment, may we know that you have sown a seed in our lives, that when we think about it tomorrow, we might not know where it came from, but we know that the fruit of your spirit is yielding in the, day, the daily affairs of our lives. I just bless everyone here. I bless our hearts. And I pray that when you are searching the earth for a resting place, Lord, we ask that you will find us worthy. You will teach us to be carriers of your presence, just like the Levites. Our Lord, help us to be carriers of your tabernacles, to be carriers of your, your presence, to be carriers, Lord, of your essence. We pray that you teach us to be carriers of you, to steward your residence in us, your residency in us. Help us, Lord, to not even be people that are just rest, that that are you know that just host you once in a while. But Father, help us to host you, host you until we intermingle with you and we become one with you. We just long, oh Lord, to see the fulfillment of every word you've spoken concerning our generation. You say that this is a generation of priests and kings. This is the rest, generation of those that will come into the fullness of Christ. So, Father, our hands are lifted, our hearts are lifted, our minds are submitted to you, Lord, and we ask that you do what only you can do in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we go to bed, we want to dream with you. We want to see you. We want to feast with you. So, Father, we just pray that this will not end here. May we have dreams, Lord. I'm, I'm just asking that we will have dreams. May we have dreams. Dreams explaining these things. Dreams teaching us. Dreams that continue the revelation that you've given to us as a community. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I feel very blessed by your presence. Um, thank you. I feel very blessed by your presence. So thank you so much. Um, have a lovely night rest. Um, God bless you.